ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to What Every Episode number 55. That's right. We now qualify for AARP. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, so in this episode, Margot Robbie is going to get tongue-punched in the fart box. Sadly, not by any of us. Yeah. You just get your hopes way up there, didn't you, everybody? I know. Everybody? I know. Um, we're, we're joined this week by our good friend Ryan Bailey. How's it going? Yeah, this is Eddie. Yeah, I'm usually Matt. here. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. Um, it's been quite a while since anybody you know died, so you haven't missed any time lately. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> you probably just fucked it up. I'm going to get a phone call on the way home. Um, yeah, that'd be bad. We got lots of stuff for you this week. We are going to be talking WWE's Clash of Champions, the Raw pay-per-view. We have some neat news from the DC Universe. Uh, we've got a Flash Season 3 trailer, which we are just eminent seven days or something like that away from. Uh, eight days. Eight days. From Marvel. Flash? Yeah, I think, so. I think so. We're like really close. It's almost to the end of September, and pretty much everything good comes back in October. So, uh, you know, one or two things notwithstanding. I guess Supergirl does start a week later than everything else. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about Gotham because uh, Matt and I both uh, blasted through most of season two in this last week, and we both really enjoyed it, and we were kind of like, why didn't we do that already? Yeah. We've got some stuff from Marvel. Uh, we've got a Luke Cage trailer, which uh, we just couldn't get more hyped about. I think we both decided that we're going to just marathon the entire season in, in probably Friday night or something like that. Yeah. We, um, we plan on having plenty of, of Luke Cage to talk about when we sit down to record next week. Yeah. We're going to talk about Ghostbusters, the 2016 reboot movie. And we've got some uh, you know, questions from the mailbag uh, talking about Highlander. So we're going to yeah. get all, uh, you know, we're, we're going to try to be the last one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's hit it. Sweet. All right, so um, as we sit down to record this, uh, we are on Monday night, uh, September 26th. So last night was the WWE Clash of Champions pay-per-view. Sadly, Eddie was not able to make it. Um, no, not. But Ryan Bailey was here uh, watching it with me, and so we're going we're gonna to kind of break down that pay-per-view. Um, so just a little history, the Clash of Champions, um, it is traditionally, it was a WCW event and they took place twice a year. Uh, and it was not a pay-per-view. It was actually on TBS on Saturday nights, uh, hmm. when it, when it aired originally. But the idea was it was a, um, uh, kind of a, a all titles defended type of event. Okay. Um, so the WWE in keeping with that tradition, uh, at least as far as the Raw brand is concerned, had every title um, that was that, that was currently being held by anybody up for grabs. And uh, pretty solid pay-per-view overall, it I think. It was a pretty solid pay-per-view. I would give it, I think, an 8 out of 10 if I was going to rank it 1 to 10. Maybe 7.5. I would Just, go 7.5 for me. Yeah. There was, there was one or two matches that were a little less uh, involved. I mean, just things that, I mean we had a hard time getting super interested in. So we'll, we'll get to those as we break it down. Uh, we opened the show with our tag titles on the line. Um, coming into it, the uh, tag belt holders were the new day and they were facing the club for the championship. Uh, that being Luke Gallows and Carl uh, Anderson. And the match was actually really good. Yeah. Although the ending of it, we were both a little confused mm-hmm. on the ending. The match itself throughout told a good story. There's some back and forth. Uh, but the club, presumably being the heel tag team in this scenario, and the New Day being the baby faces, fought a clean fight. Yeah, they fought a clean fight, and 
at the end of it, New Day went over the club uh, due to Xavier Woods uh, interfering by throwing a trombone at somebody when the ref wasn't looking. So, kind of a heel move there. Interested to see where they're going to go with it. I just the thing I like about wrestling is you get to use phrases like throwing a trombone at somebody, and that's not even a euphemism. No, no, no. Um. So yeah, that was a, that was questionable. Um. Hey. Thanks, Lou. Hey, fucker. I'm ass- Luna the Wonder Dog uh, being retarded. Yeah, I'm assuming we're going to get more explanation into that. Um, and probably, in fact, as we speak, actually, well, I guess it's probably the live show's over now, but Monday Night Raw being tonight, I'm sure there was some kind of explanation of that. Well, it depends on if you have Dish or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Comcast, so like it just started 45 minutes ago for me. But So, yeah, it's still going for you. Yeah. Yeah. But the live show's over. Well, yeah. So, um. Anyway, like we said, solid match. Uh, questionable ending. Uh, good effort on everybody's part, though, in the in the ring itself. Yes. What was the match after that was? That the was the T.J. Perkins yep. match, right? Cruiserweight Championship. T.J. Perkins versus the Brian Kendrick. This one I watched before the show, and actually one of the things that I'll point out is I really enjoy that they're bringing back Cruiserweight. Uh, because those are fun matches to watch. I think like there's a lot of like the 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 bigger guys tend to tell a good story through the um, less athleticism. I think which isn't really entirely fair to say because pretty much all the guys on the roster these days are hugely athletic, especially given their size. But there's just things that you can't do very well when you're 275 pounds of solid fucking muscle, like most of the the gigant, um you know the the main roster is. So watching cruiserweight for me is uh, I think a lot of fun. Uh, T.J. Perkins and and for example, it just it can do some moves and stuff like that that the bigger guys would have a really, really hard time doing. And so watching this match, that's one of the things that stood out is that the moves that he was going after were a lot more acrobatic and a lot more technical, I think, in a lot of the cases. What what I find uh, interesting about this is that when they launched the Cruiserweight Classic, um, they actually lowered the weight limit. Uh, from 220 down to 205 in order to qualify for cruiserweight. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that. Yeah, and and so this is and um, they actually brought guys back uh, from like international promotions, things like that. Tajiri came back from Japan to do the, I saw the tournament that match. Um, I think he did at least two. I think he he did two. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's a couple guys from England, uh, Zach Saber Jr. and uh, and uh, Jack Gallagher. Who, which those guys, their technical proficiency is fucking off the hook. So, um, Brian Kendrick actually is a longtime WWE mainstay. He had a hell of a run there until um, one day he was uh, wished well on all his future endeavors. Well, yeah, and <laughs> uh, even then he said that he didn't blame. He was like, "I would have released me too." He, he had some personal, yeah, he had some personal stuff going on, and he was having a hard time keeping that stuff under control. Which is when you're on the road 300 days a year, it's pretty hard to keep that stuff in check sometimes because you're you're constantly either at an event or driving to the next event. You don't see your family. Uh, Nothing. And this is case in point. I was watching uh, WWE Ride Along, which cheap plug. I highly recommend if anybody has the network. It's it. There's, there's only like six episodes and they're like 20 minutes a piece, but it's it's pretty entertaining. But um. Uh, Enzo and Cass were were driving, and they were in Jersey. and And uh, Enzo had made a comment about uh, the last time he was in town, he drove right past his mom's house and uh, straight 
through to do whatever he was doing and didn't even stop to say hi because that's how time-consuming their schedule is and whatnot. And they were back in Jersey for this particular episode, and he made a comment when they pulled up to the hotel. He's like, and once again, I'm in Jersey, but I'm staying at this hotel and not at my mom's place. <laughs> you know, so it just... You don't get a lot of family time when you're when you're doing that. No, you don't. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Brian Kendrick, hell of a fucking talent, and did really well in the in the cruiserweight classic. In fact, I was kind of pulling for him to win the whole thing. I was um, too, which he didn't. But uh, he did win a, a number one contenders match to get here for this particular event. Um, and this this match was good. There was a couple spots that missed the mark a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think only two that I can remember. Yeah. The neck breaker on the rope and the weird back breaker that ended up landing on like the tailbone. Yeah. But uh I don't think you can probably put two more steady hands in in the ring when it comes to cruiserweights because these guys aren't just doing spots. They're wrestling a technical match. Yeah. And they're giving it rest time. Number as well. 1 Brian Kendrick is 37 years old and he's not really i mean he can still go up and and come off the top rope and all that kind of stuff but he's not he's not doing flips in the ring as much he's not like he used to no no. so uh it was probably my second favorite match of the night was he the one that did the 450 or was it no well maybe he used to i think he did it was either him or his tag partner back in the day yeah, there was a bunch of them. I don't remember who his tag partner was. Me neither. Not right at the top of my head. But that's what he was known for when he was with WWE the first time. Mm-hmm. He was he was a tag a tag wrestler almost exclusively. So, God, that's gonna drive me nuts. Yeah, me too. But we'll figure it out someday. <laughs> I'm just over here like oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's right on the tip of my tongue. Eddie was busy, you know having sex or something while we were watching wrestling so it's <laughs> a good excuse though <laughs> we'll allow it um but anyway uh tj perkins ended up going over uh brian kendrick with the knee bar um at the end of this and there was a little bit of character development because these guys are all brand new to the roster like they just had a tournament to determine who the champ was but then a lot of these guys are are new additions to the roster yeah i was um, figuring wwe hired probably most of that talent yeah um kota ibushi though was one that i don't think they've locked in yet and i'm really hoping they do because damn that guy's good but uh so we had a little bit of uh, a conflict at the end uh, tj perkins offered his hand and kendrick shook it but then fucking him mauled him <laughs> mauled him with a headbutt at the end um i don't know if it's a full heel turn because the um commentators kind of just were like well i'm sure like this is frustration because he's worked so hard to get where he's at and you know that kind of a thing so i'm pretty sure it's a heel turn if he wasn't already heel which he traditionally does kind of wrestle heel because he's at the point in his career where when he's in a match he likes to call it and usually the heels are calling their matches anyway so and at the point he's the vet so going up against tj perkins it makes sense to have him call the match yeah yep i i totally agree so Anyway, like I said, my second favorite match of the night uh, as far as this goes. So, uh, great match. Yeah. I, yeah. I, no, not one? from that. No. Uh, all right. So, now we're coming into my first match that I wasn't really into um, and probably won't be. Is it be. the shit show? It's the Cesaro-Sheamus match. Yeah. Yeah. 
which I mean, there was there was a lot of good stuff in the match because again, these are guys that are veterans. Yeah, uh, Sheamus more so than Cesaro. The but... match itself was solid. The ending of it was a shit show. Yeah, and I wasn't really invested in the whole best of seven series because neither was I. Um, when I'm watching Monday Night Raw, a lot Me of the either. times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When I'm watching Monday Night Raw, a lot of the times I'm I'm usually kind of doing something else as well, um, you know, working on stuff on the computer or anything else. So it's kind of on in the background, and I catch the matches to some extent. There's certain matches that I have to watch, like that I'm drawn to, but usually these matches I was just like, eh, you know, I've seen these guys wrestle each other so many times already before the best of seven that I was just like, can we do something different, maybe? Yeah. Part of that's a result of, of the 50-50 book in the, that they were using for quite a while, um, which I'm not a fan of anyway. Uh, so they kind of had to do the best of seven series, I think, to try and reignite uh, something. Something. Um, but yeah, the end of this is weird. I'm going to let Ryan... So the kinda... ending of it, they were going off of somebody being injured and it ended up being Cesaro, even though Sheamus was the one being pulled in the back. And Cesaro was one saying, yeah, let's let's keep this going. Let's continue. Let's continue. They put it all on Cesaro. I'm assuming they say it was from him going over the barrier by a clothesline. But from what we saw, he didn't actually land anything serious. Yeah. Except the only thing that would have been serious was his suicide dive that landed shoulder slash neck area yeah. earlier in the match that Matt and I both freaked out on. I was relatively certain he wasn't going to be at Raw tonight, but... It seems like he was okay after after a few minutes, but I'm betting yeah. he's sore today. That's that's my suspicion. Oh yeah, without a doubt. That bump would have been rough. You <laughs> yeah. know that you know that. If that bump had been landed stretched. right, it would have still been Brutal. rocky. So Yeah. Uh yeah, and I don't even know what caused that. I don't know if it was Seamus just not being prepared for him and not kind of catching him, or if he kind of took a weird angle when he came through the ropes that that caused it. I don't. I, I don't think don't, it's anybody's fault. I just think it didn't land the way it was supposed to. I don't think Cesaro gave Sheamus enough time because he yeah. came at it pretty quickly. He did, and so right there, I'd land that on Cesaro. But at the same time, Sheamus is a big dude, and you kind of get it because I think even they knew that this match was probably not a match that everyone was going to be invested in. And so they were kind of trying to pick up the pace to to make it exciting. Yeah. So there's there's a little bit of a factor there where I mean they're they're trying to put on a show, um, and and get over with the crowd. And the so. match was good, like we said, it was good. It was yeah. just the ending of it just fell flat, and I would have rather have seen it be solidified as a winner rather than a no contest. Yeah. Yeah. So this this was actually the first of two non-title matches of the night. So this was this was the best of seven series. It ended in a no contest. So technically, it's still tied at three up. So I don't know where it's going from here. I'm not watching Monday Night Raw right now, obviously, because I'm doing the show. I'll probably check it out tomorrow and figure that out. But I don't care where it goes. <laughs> I don't either. That's 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 my thing. And and I mean, unless they pull something spectacular out, I I don't know. So, uh. All right. Next up, we had our second non-title match of the night and um, of two, and this was Chris Jericho versus Sami Zayn. I'm going to put out there on record right now: Chris Jericho can really do no wrong. No, uh, he, no, he is the veteran now, and 
whether you liked him in the past or whether you didn't or anything else, uh, if the guy is wrestling heel, he can get heat when he wants to. Um, and if he's wrestling as a babyface, he can pop the crowd when he wants to. Like, there's no question that he knows how to do his job out there. Plus, he's still one of the most technically proficient wrestlers in wrestling. Um, and the safest. Yeah. One of the safest. Yeah. Yep. No, I... I, I trust that guy to put on a decent match every every day of the week. This match was another one, though, that I didn't have. I mean, I watched Raw for the last couple of weeks going into it, and it was kind of a grudge match because Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens have a huge beef going. That needs to end. And Jericho and Kevin Owens are doing their best friends angle right now, so this was Jericho trying to go at Sami Zayn on behalf of Kevin Owens. So it's all tied into that same storyline. Um, but they're both good wrestlers. Um, Sami Zayn still wrestles like an indie guy sometimes, though, and that's that's kind of hard to mesh with the WWE style. It is, but if anybody can do it, it's Jericho. Yeah, uh, Zayn took a weird bump through the ropes next to the turnbuckle, uh, the ring post that I was a little <laughs> bit concerned about because I don't necessarily think that you have to do that spot all the time, all the time, especially in. And a I, one-off match, presumably. To be fair, Jericho didn't even need to sell it because the way Jericho turned, it looked like he just threw him to the side anyways. <laughs> yeah. So for Jericho to sell that to me, I was like, I would have just thrown him and been like, eh, deal with it. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, really solid match. And again, I would I would put anybody in the ring with Chris Jericho and I, I know that I'm going to get at least a 7 out of 10 match regardless. It's not going to drop below that because Jericho's not going to let it. No, except for the Asylum match. That was... <laughs> okay, that was a shit show. Yeah, that was awful. <laughs> we were both bored. It, it, I don't even know if it's that if it's their fault. It was the whole gimmick match to begin with that I wasn't a fan of. Just wrestle in a straight-up cage match. Yeah. Or Hell in the Cell. Or any other like, gimmicky match. Yeah, like you didn't need to have a potted plant tied to the inside of the ring and mops and brooms and whatnot like what didn't care they they, they wrestle in like the hotel lobby match no I, that's it was, what that, I mean, that, that would have been cage. more entertaining it was in a cage but there was just props that were like attached to the to the cage yeah um, at the very top they had like a potted plant chose? yeah okay a mop kendo stick what else a, Tax. There was thumb tax. How did Those that? How does that out. even happen? Like they're sitting out in the back, like ten minutes before the show starts, and it, like you know, cage match sounds good, but we got to do something bigger. Um, we got to do. Fine, you go grab some mops, get a couple of tacks. Find somebody, find me a fucking ficus, and yeah. then we've got a match. There was there was a uh, beef between Jericho and Ambrose. It was right around the time that Shane uh, took over running Raw, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, for a while, and. Uh, so, by order of Shane McMahon, the Jericho's highlight reel got canceled in favor of uh, Dean Ambrose's, uh, the Ambrose Asylum. Hmm. And then Jericho ended up assaulting Ambrose with his own potted plant, who had a name. I don't remember what his name was. I don't know but, either. Uh, who names their plant? <laughs> but, this uh, is a wonderful storyline. It, it was, it was <laughs> not wonderful, but... Uh, it, anyway, the end result was that particular match. And honestly, the best part of it was the end because Jericho actually uh, bumped really hard on a giant pile of thumbtacks at mm. the end of it. But it took a long time to get to that point. Oh, they teased it several times. Yeah. And it wasn't like 
it still kind of wasn't a big enough payoff to have put up no, with the rest it... of the match. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, that is what it is. Jericho's a professional, and I don't necessarily, like I said, I don't blame either guy. I blame the gimmick match. Because I think oh, if yeah. it was just those two in a straight-up cage match, or even just a one-on-one match in the ring. Would have been more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's talk Charlotte uh, over Bailey, and who else was in that oh. match? Jericho won, by the way, against him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He did. Uh, we had we had uh, Charlotte with uh, Bailey and, uh, God, what's Sasha Banks. Sasha, Sasha Banks. Banks. Um, Triple we, threat for the women's championship. Yeah, I, I did watch this match, and um, this this was pretty fun, too. Like, uh, I'm, I'm impressed by Charlotte. Like, that big uh, backflip off the top turnbuckle, that was pretty rad. Yeah. Um, this is, for me, this is a tie um, for my favorite match of the night. See, I cheated because I have a second favorite match, but then I have a tie for the, <laughs> you, for the best match. You cheating bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, I podcast heel. I'm yeah. not a baby face. So. No, it's fine. You can... <laughs> I mean, when it comes down to it, it's 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 our show. It's your show. You can lie if you want to. It's yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, women's matches actually are kind of interesting to me because again, when I started watching, or when the last time I really watched wrestling as a mainstay uh, was back in like 2000, 2001, and there were some slight involvements from the women, but I don't think that we even had like they a women's were there championship. More of a show. We did, but it was being held by Stephanie McMahon, and she didn't defend it a whole lot. Yeah, and when you did have a women's match, it it actually looked kind of like a freshman girl slap fight. Most we of the were time. still doing bra and panty matches back then. Um, this is even before Trish had to bark like a dog for Vince. Yeah, it, it definitely oh, seems God. like at some point they were like, "Hey, you know what? I don't think we can keep treating these women just like you know, like as stereotypically as humanly possible." Like at some point they were like, we, "We've got to take this seriously, or you know, do something else with it entirely." So well. Lita kind of helped change that because when Lita came in in late 99, early 2000, Le- she I do remember Lita. Lita could how to actually wrestle. wrestle. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. um, putting her with the Hardys and, and forming Team Extreme was. She started out with S.A. Rios, though, first. Who is uh, also. God, what was his name? Because um, S.A. Rios was his WWE name, but he had a reputation he, as uh, fucking. Uh, in uh, Me- Mexico. Yeah. God what was damn God it. damn it. Uh, I don't have any idea. I can't help you out at all here. But anyway, the 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 women's thing, um, women's wrestling in general. Since I've uh, you know the last couple of pay per views I've watched over here, um, it's it's surprising surprising to me in a positive way because when I was watching wrestling, you know, back in two thousand, it was everything that like fourteen and fifteen year old me could have hoped for. It was which was like you were saying, you know, bra and panty matches, and, and the women were clearly just arm candy and nothing more, basically. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then now now that you do mention it, though, I do remember Lita. And Lita was like the first one where I was like, oh, you know, like when Stephanie Man McMahon did a match. I didn't really ever get the impression she could actually wrestle. So there were lots of big slaps and stuff like that, and she did learn to take a fall or two. Uh, but there wasn't; she was not like really a wrestler, and most of the women back the, at that time weren't. But I do remember seeing Lita and Lita actually throwing down a little bit and and thinking, "Wow, she can actually wrestle." Yeah. Um, so I, somebody else must have been like, "You know what? I bet we can find more girls that can wrestle." I I will like, give Steph credit in that uh, she trains like a beast. Oh, I'm sure she does. Not as a like, wrestler, but she just... I oh, mean, yeah. Well, look I, at her I, husband and her father. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not trying to denigrate <laughs> her at all. It's just when I started watching, she was just barely getting into the, the show proper. Um, so it was sort of like Vince. Like, Vince, Vince, uh, you know, whenever Vince or Stephanie or Shane or whoever wrestled, like, they made a pretty decent show of it. God damn. 
Um, oh, yeah, you Steph- showed me that last Man, night. I'm going to yeah. have to spend some time alone with Stephanie's Instagram. Um, <laughs> for study purposes, uh, anyway. That'll uh, last approximately until you realize that she looks like Vince. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> Just, God damn you. Yeah, thanks for ruining that. Um Anyway, when I, when I just remember those, you know, that was around the same time that Shane started getting involved in the business, um, and Vince was doing some matches every now and then, you know, especially as part of the corporation storyline and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And that was just always kind of like, you know, like these are uh, deep cuts, folks. Even a little bit like uh, when when we had the the Amel match, you know, let's like it's just. You know they put on a pretty decent show, but they're not wrestlers. Like right. you, they put on a pretty decent show, and you but you know watching they're not wrestlers. Like way to go that when they pull off some of the moves that the other guys do every night thirty five times or something like that, um, and that was like a big deal in a lot of those matches. But for the most part, you were just watching, realizing they're definitely not wrestlers. I get that this is advancing some storyline or something like that, but none of the women, with you know rare exception, and, and Lita was exactly who would come to mind. That's could actually wrestle. See, this is this is where you're not entirely accurate. It's just that the women that they had that could wrestle, they weren't being utilized on a nightly basis because that wasn't what that they were wasn't getting for. ratings and beating yeah. WCW like okay. they wanted. But they had Ivory. They had um, Ivory. They who had was super super talented Jackie. Jackie. They had China was still around. I think then China, China was there. And China she, was around. She was a huge boon, but she wasn't wrestling women's wrestling. She was wrestling for the Intercontinental Belt a lot of the time. Yeah. So she wasn't really part of the women's division. And then who else was in there? Um, yeah, I don't remember. A I little just... later on, you had Trish oh, and, come into uh, her own. Tori. And Tori Wilson? Not, not Tori Wilson. Not Tori, Tori Wilson. Oh, Tori, Tori. Okay, Tori, Tori. Um, and she was, she was a decent hand in the ring as well. Mm-hmm. But um, in fact, it... Tori is actually who won a lot of Stephanie McMahon's matches for her because she was aligned with DX and would mm-hmm. interfere and all that good stuff. But... Um, they just weren't wrestling for the women's belt, which is like they. I don't think they knew what to do with it for a long time because they couldn't. Like women's matches weren't selling tickets. No, and so you just put the belt on Steph and have her carry it around as a kind of a, a gimmick for a, until you know. What to I do think with that. It. I, I guess that's what I mean. Like watching back then compared to watching now, it seems like they're actually taking the women's belt pretty seriously. And like the whole women's, you know, like women's wrestling in general, it seems like they're actually taking seriously. Like it, when I was watching, especially, it didn't seem like it was ever something that they took seriously. It seemed like it was like a hammy sort of sexist thing that they did, uh, you know, basically to attract the uh, 14 to 18 year old boy segment of the uh, audience. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, they were, like I said, they were still having brawn panties matches. They were yeah. still having mud wrestling matches, jello matches, gravy matches. Yeah. And take into account the era i mean back then that's what it was that was the era and now you have all the feminism and all that stuff so they take a huge role in that and they go okay we need to make this a serious thing you took a 90 week beat down by eric bischoff so you were at that point you were doing whatever you could do to get ratings to get ratings and and get back on top which they did well it didn't help that eric bischoff was uh saying spoilers for their show just before it came on. That actually that actually backfired though because the night Mick Foley won the championship, everybody turned the channel to watch Mick Foley win the championship. And they they, they See, called that at the beginning of the show and cuz it was pre-recorded at the time, Raw would do one live show and then they would immediately record a taping for the next week. So they only had to do it live every other week. And that happened to be when Mick Foley won the belt was a taping. So huh. 
they already had all the results when raw or when nitro went on live every night or every monday night so hmm. good times yep. good times so anyway um back on topic <laughs> yeah we that was a 15 minute discussion and we've talked uh, i think for about 30 seconds about the actual match yeah. which was uh charlie bailey and, and sasha banks the match itself was really solid there's one spot in the middle uh not even a spot just kind of a um an oops in the middle that that, <laughs> that ryan uh and i both noticed last night and there was um all three were down relatively close to one another and actually charlotte's arm was draped over uh, uh sasha, sasha banks, banks. And her shoulders were down, so it should have been a technically pinfall. a count. Yeah, and the ref was just kind of looking there, not knowing exactly what to do, <laughs> or trying to convince the girls that they weren't in the right position. Like, you yeah, know what I mean? Like, all. I half yeah. wonder if he was kind of going, like, uh, "Guys, you're you're not supposed to cover her right now." Like, yes, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, ladies, we got ten more minutes of match here. Yeah, come on, come on. yeah. Um, but that was really the only. Uh, little oops in that At match. All, I wouldn't yeah. even call it necessarily a botch. It's just kind of not great it just placement. happened. Yeah. Um, but this was solid. Uh, triple threats are hard because in order for one to, to pull it off, like you got to have one of your three lay out a good portion of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they come in, you got to have somebody else lay out. So there was, there was enough of that going on. Charlotte bringing Dana Brooke to the ring with her helps that because she can run interference on the outside with one of the, competitors yes and create some distraction and buy some time to give a reason why this one person's not there and then she ended up getting kicked out right then she get uh she got sent back to the back before the match was over i believe towards the end of the match i think so yeah Yeah. so charlotte had to had to go it alone and uh again good story being told in this match um all the pieces i think worked the way they were supposed to uh, at the end of the day, uh, Charlotte goes over by penfall um, over Bailey. Mm-hmm. Which I could see Bailey coming in like maybe two pay per views later. Like I said, Survivor Series and winning, going over against Charlotte. Yeah, Ryan and I had a little bit of a dis- difference of opinion over the women's championship because he's kind of ready for Charlotte to drop it to somebody else, which she did really briefly to Sasha Banks. And I don't disagree. But uh, I kind of think that the more you have Charlotte hold on to the title, um, the more importance it gives to that title because she's really rubbing it in that she's still champ and and making it uh, something that is a sought-after belt. Like, these these girls want that championship. Which yeah. needs to happen. The stakes, the stakes seem a little higher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's only a couple girls that are really kind of in line to be top contenders for that belt, and that's Sasha Banks and Bailey at this point. Dana Brooke, I think, is close, but she hasn't been able to wrestle a ton because I think she's coming back from an injury. She's uh, oh, I didn't not, know she was injured. I don't necessarily know that she's barred from active competition, but she hasn't been wrestling a ton because I think she's uh, just not a hundred percent right now. Hmm. Yeah, better. And she's a relatively young talent, having just been brought up from NXT uh, within the last, you know, excuse me, four or five months. So. Uh, you don't really want her wrestling with too much road wear if she's got a if she's got a, a nagging injury that she's yeah, trying no. to get over. So, because it just gets worse. Yeah. All right. Our next match, which I did not watch, was uh, Roman Reigns uh, versus Rusev. I'm not gonna lie, no, nobody watched that you match. Didn't, uh, yeah. We didn't watch it either. <laughs> so, as you can tell, folks, uh, nobody basically cared about the storyline going into this match, and it seems like uh, the match itself wasn't really all that interesting. So, uh, whatever. So this match took place about eight months too late. Because 
instead of positioning Roman Reigns as a top contender for the heavyweight belt, he should have been gunning for the U.S. Gunning for the U.S. belt IC title. or the IC championship at some point um, before that. And uh, granted, I think uh, given the result of this match, which was Roman Reigns going uh, over, going over uh, Rusev for the U.S. champ, I think he'll probably bring a little bit of prestige to it if they, again, have a... They have to have a plan for the belt, and they have to have a core group of guys that are willing to uh, sacrifice everything in the ring to get that belt off of Roman. Uh, I, as I understand it, the the only match that was confirmed going into Raw tonight was a rematch between Rusev and Roman Reigns. I figured that for would happen because everybody has a rematch clause now, which I think is tired. And I, I mean, that was done. going on way back when. Yeah constantly yeah i'm i'm kind of done with that whole concept i think they could do something else but you know that's just me they should maybe earn seems like the stakes are pretty low if you're gonna have a rematch after every title match yeah 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 if you got a 50 50 shot of getting a belt back if after you lose yeah, it you even at wrestlemania then go through a number one contender yeah, are again. they really doing rematch classes after wrestlemania yeah jesus christ mm-hmm. yeah that's a week don't do that uh like next pay-per-view usually is the rematch for or even the next night like like tonight. Like, like tonight next night yeah next night's crazy like i could see them doing some some sort of uh next pay-per-view sort of thing um you know because that continues storylines and stuff like that but uh geez rematch clause the next night that that just seems like you're really taking the stakes out of that match yeah and yeah. i don't know what they're doing with the u.s belt now because uh i don't think they know what they're doing with the u.s belt well rusev had it for a long time now roman's got it but i don't know who else is in the picture anymore uh jack swagger uh, just left um, and went to SmackDown. So he's not there anymore. And he, he would have been a great contender, especially for Roman. Oh, yeah. Um, the All-American American. Yeah, I just don't know what you do at this point. You can't keep doing Rusev versus Reigns. Well, that was boring the first time around. Yeah. Um, And I don't know. I don't know. Neville's, Neville's part of the Raw roster, I think. Neville, I could see being pretty good. Neville if, versus Roman's going to be really lopsided, though, because there's such a huge difference in size. Like, Roman's two and a half feet taller than Neville about. Yeah, but I mean, look at Daniel Bryan, and he won the world championship. Rey Mysterio versus Kevin Nash back in yeah, 99. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, speed over size. Yeah. I mean, they can utilize that. Neville, Neville, I think, could do that. Although, honestly, and, I'd I mean, kind of rather see him in a enough. cruiserweight division. Yeah. Because <laughs> they have qualify. One now. Yeah, I think so. He's pretty stacked, but I, I he's stacked. He's, he's like Chris Benoit stacked. Um, they had another guy, uh, Tony Nice, in the in the cruiserweight is. classic. Um, well, it's because he's not a he's not a WWE contract guy, but um, he was super stacked, and I think he weighed in at like two hundred four point five when he <laughs> when he qualified. So, um, I think Neville could probably qualify for it, but uh, plus those guys don't ever use their real weight these days anyway it's all it's all gimmick all so. right yeah like the undertaker wasn't seven feet tall the undertaker's more like six ten he has lifts in his boots anyways yeah <laughs> uh so yeah i don't know what you do with the u.s the, the u.s title not really division but the the hunt no so eventually there, there'll, there'll be some guys that flesh out and stuff i just don't know who those guys are right now I can't think of any off the top of my head other than like Neville, like you said. It seems like SmackDown actually kind of has the bigger mid-card roster at this point. Which really isn't a bad thing. It's not, but 
because those mid carders can go up to main event. Yeah, but they both have a they both have a mid card belt, so that kind of makes it hard to to like again. We're in a position right now with the U.S. belt where it's like we don't want Rusev versus Roman every week. We don't. We're done with it now. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, I don't know. Just me. Um. So yeah, that's enough about that. Let's go into the main event, which was actually. By process of elimination, I would say this is your favorite match this, of the night. This was my my the, yeah. The, the, well, this that, match was really good. That that was tied for me for the my favorite match of the night, um, and that's just because these guys can work, both of them. Oh yeah, uh, Rollins. I don't want to say he can be dangerous, but his buckle bomb has been dangerous to some guys over the last well, several months. He didn't months, do it in this match, and he did not use it at all. So I'm I thought if he's, he would. I wondered if he's getting some heat backstage. He might be. I don't know if they're going to officially ban the move. Like, they might not want to give it that much attention. He's just not going to use it. You know what I mean? Better to ignore it than and let it die out Yeah. slowly than bring attention to it. To and the let fact people that it get ended Sting's career. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but this was this was a really good match. Um, as I understand it, Rollins did have um, x-rays on his ribs today because he... Um, and you thought a, the injury would have been the knee. He took a backbreaker... <laughs> That ant- it landed really awkwardly. Oh, really awkwardly? Like, <laughs> um, I'm surprised that he was able to to take to inhale properly afterward because of of. See, when I saw him come down, I saw him hit with the knee, but Ryan actually saw it from a different angle. Um, I before saw I did, straight and, ribs and on the ribs. Knees. Yeah, there was no Ouch. cushioning that blow. No, so he was supposed to land on his back or his stomach. And it was just all left all side cage. of rib cage. So, um, but to his credit, tough son of a bitch, <laughs> finish the match. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's not really much to say about this match other than, again, it, there was a lot of good back and forth to it. Kevin Owens, when he gets on a roll, really gets on a roll. Oh yeah. Um, and is just beastly. Um, not, Kevin Owens does not have the physique that people think of when they think professional wrestlers. Kevin Owens looked more like I do a yeah. lot of the time. <laughs> so, uh, if not larger, yeah, he's a little bigger. Um, definitely stronger. You know what I mean? And and he's in better ring shape because probably like, more agile. If you ever look at the guys in the strongman competitions, like they're huge, but they don't look like they're not like Hollywood. They, they don't have well defined yeah. muscles. They don't. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh, this was uh, we saw Kevin Owens uh, retain. Yes. And uh now was it cuz Stephanie came out or no or did he go over clean? I think he went over no, clean. Jer- no, Jericho no, came Jericho. out. Yeah, Jericho, yeah. Jericho did come out. There was interference by on on Jericho's behalf. Um that's right. That is how yeah. this one ended. Totally but, forgot uh, about that. But it's good. I think I think Kevin Owens will probably keep the belt for a at, little while. Um, at, probably until Past Survivor, Survivor series. series would be my my suspicion. If he if he drops it, it'll be there, not before. I can see him going past Survivor I Series because I think he'd well. be a solid champion for a while. Yeah, and if you're running the angle with Chris Jericho and him, that could go on for quite a long time. Yeah, I just don't know what you do with Seth Rollins in the meantime because there's not mid card. I don't like I don't like Rollins from mid card. I want there to be an active competition for a number one contendership between him and whoever else might be ready there's not a lot of other guys ready yet Sami Zayn would be a good one for the US belt though Sami Zayn wouldn't be oh, bad yeah. now that I think about it totally forgot um, about him I think 
I think you can, because of the interference from Jericho, I think you can probably work an angle between Rollins and Jericho now, and I think Rollins and Jericho would be a hell of a oh god, hell of a match. Amazing. So, um, you do a couple tag matches in a couple weeks leading up to the next pay per view, and then you have Rollins Jericho one on one at the pay per view. Mm -hmm. So I can see that. Okay, that's wrestling this week. Um, we're going to be back for the next pay-per-view, probably. What's that going to be, boys? Two weeks, and it's No Mercy SmackDown. Oh, okay. Yeah, No Mercies. I remember that from back in the day, too. So. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They, Bringing it back. They, they reinvigorated some of the old titles for... That was the, the last pay-per-view I pay went to live was No Mercy. Yeah, there's 19 pay-per-views a year now because of the brand split, so... That's yeah. that's pretty hardcore. Like that that is a it's difference like, in uh like I remember like WrestleMania uh, WrestleMania still is I think the show. Like that's the yeah. big deal. That is the big pay-per-view of the year. The granddaddy uh, of them all. There there used to be so wrestling. fantastically less uh pay-per-views when I was watching. So it's kind of interesting to me. It yeah. Used to be like what 8 2000 era there if, was if that. No, the 2000 era had 12 a year. You think so? It yeah. did. Oh, I know yeah. it did because I've watched them all. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. You have been watching the the back catalog. The network's so very good what, for that. If you there do. was Backlash, Great American Bash, there was Great American Bash was WCW still at that point. Well, yeah. Um, just the WWE pay per uh, pay per views alone, though. You had Armageddon, Royal Rumble in January. You had No Way Out in February. You had WrestleMania. Yeah. Then you had Backlash, and then you um, had No Mercy, uh, Judgment Day. I thought it went backlash then Judgment Day. I don't remember the exact order. I mean, it was backlash Judgment Day. Yeah, there was, and then uh, aside from that, you still had SummerSlam, Survivor Series, um, Unforgiven. Unforgiven was one. Uh, well, there's a lot. Yeah. So, all right. Anyway, uh, let's go grab so, a beer. Yeah, let's do it. All, all right, right, folks, we're back with uh, our live presidential uh, debate coverage. Um, my sources just have it. Uh, yeah, it turns out total train wreck. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. It couldn't have been. I don't know. Maybe it was a train. I'm sure it was a train wreck is what I'm saying. Like, there's no way there that this thing was not a train wreck. I obviously didn't watch it because I sat over here and I'm recording a show with you guys. But uh, any way that this wasn't a train wreck, is it even possible? No. Yeah. No. Like, I, I've occasionally, you know, popped up and into Twitter. So wait, which, which debate is this? This is, like, the, basically... The, the presidential debate. The yeah. first presidential debate of so Hillary is, Clinton and Donald Trump. So not, not the vice president. Yeah, there's there's almost no way. Um, Trump uh, is hurling insults at Hillary, and Hillary is acting like a smug bitch. That's... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly that's, what's happening right now. Yeah. What I love about this debate and what I love about this presidential cycle is it does not fucking matter what they said at all. There's no way that either side's base, which, uh, I mean, just fuck us because this is a situation we're in where we have these two to pick from. But uh, there's no way that either side's base watched this debate and was like, you know, the other guy made a good a couple of good points. I guess I'm going to you know, rethink my you know, presidential Well, there hopefuls. is the third-party like, candidate that... People keep shoving in there, like, "Hey, you should probably go for this guy." Yeah, that doesn't work with the electoral. College, no, it though, doesn't. It's because terrible. The electoral college doesn't have to vote like the way the constituents vote. Nope. So until you fix that, then third-party candidates don't matter. And then what you have um, is England, which is technically a monarchy, sitting back, going, "We don't even get a choice." But we're handling this way better than you guys. What happened? <laughs> well, they don't get a choice for the queen, which is, you know, like, essentially uh, um, a figurehead at this point. Yeah, it's but, the prime minister that really runs the show. But Yeah, parliament parliament runs uh, 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 
not altogether similar to the United States politics, but they, they do get choices and they have sort of their same, you know, like the, the, the Tories versus the labor party sort of, you yeah. know, like whatever bullshit over there. But, uh, they're yeah. all fucked right now too, because of that whole, uh, uh, EU exit. Oh vote yeah. Yeah. That people voted for. And they're like, wait a minute. What's that mean? Now that we're not part of the, part of the EU. And like, it's like, it's like the first time a guy punches his wife and he's like, oh, I, I guess I can't take that back. I can't take that back now. Fuck. Well, here's the thing with Britain and the EU. And I'm sorry, because I don't normally get political on these things as, as much as... Yeah, this this uh, we're going to have to this, cut this off pretty soon, because it's way, way further than I, this, I was shooting for whole, just a dumb joke. But yeah. No, uh, the EU, um, when they went to the Euro, as soon as uh, the UK joined, and they're like, but we're still going to use pound sterling as our currency... They got fucked hard because their currency was still worth more than the euro was, and they ended up having to pay for a lot of other of the EU countries' ways anyway. Um, so the exit's going to allow them to keep more of their own money, but what it does is it fucks up their workforce economy because now you have people that can't just drive in from whatever bordering country it is and go to work, um, which half of Britain was on board with that anyway because they're like, oh, we... We can't bloody work because they're all coming over here. I, that's, that's Australian, th- that's but anyway. What, that's what made me feel happy about this as an American is because they've got their own stupid version of like, we have to build the wall. You know, like yeah. they've got their own stupid version of that going on. Um, but yeah, there's almost no way that this ends up being positive for Britain. So My understanding, though, Good is luck, guys. the amount of, of foreign workers that were coming over from like the Ukraine and stuff like that. Uh, from some of the Eastern European countries was really excessive. Like, cause they wouldn't live there and spend money in Britain, but they were going, well, the whole of Europe has making a, money there. So the whole of Europe has this sort of, um, I, that's a big political thing basically for a lot of countries over in that, ge- you know, general region, uh, with refugees in general, like refugees and foreign workforces and stuff like that. Because there, I mean, we are quickly approaching the point where somebody's going to have to get their heads out of their ass and realize that like we have a true global economy or like that is the way forward. Like there's yeah. no way we cannot have a global economy at this, mo- at this point, uh, transportation between countries is super easy. Now, um, the internet sort of breaks down tons and tons of boundaries I- that were, you know, mainly in institutional before so i say we drop the boundaries mm. we drop currency it, we elect we invest in the space program and then we form the united Feder- federation of planets that would be a solid choice but what i was thinking is we elect lester from uh 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 the fifth element Ooh, okay he, he, the, tiny the lister yeah yeah <laughs> that's right yeah there we go anyway let's get back on track let's talk some dc <laughs> news let's talk some shit we actually know about because i'm sure anybody listening at home is like man these guys are retarded they don't know anything yeah shut the fuck dc up. though we can handle dc yeah. uh dc we've got some new flash trailer this week uh and uh aside from being uh probably one of the worst song choices i can think of for the subject matter <laughs> they're trying to convey yeah it was a pretty solid trailer it is pretty solid um like it might be better if you just watch it on mute with subtitles yeah, um, there's two trailers here, actually. They're the same trailer, but um, the one that is posted second is a little higher quality. Yeah, I put it in a YouTube link just because some people won't click things that aren't YouTube links. Yeah. Um, like me. The comicbook.com actually is a little bit of an article along with it, so there's a little bit of exposition about the trailer and whatnot. But Yeah. Um, you won't need to read that because you're going to get all that from us. Yeah, no. You can stick with the show. We got it. Um, so we got some new villains, a couple new speedster villains this season. Um uh, we don't know the name. We know one of them is the rival, but we don't know if that's actually technically 
his name. The name. Yeah, they may just be saying, you know, that's the rival this season. Yeah. Um, and then we have Savitar, who is, uh, we posted some pictures. Did, did I miss Savitar in the trailer? No, but he's been um, it's, officially. It's like a thing. Yeah, he's okay. been officially. How have we not talked listed. about that on the show? Because that's kind of a big fucking deal. I don't know. We've been well, reading a lot of comic books. I guess. Uh, uh, well, except for the last like two episodes we haven't talked about. I'm, okay, anyway. I'm kind of okay with that, though. we got subject matter now, so we've yeah, got yeah. TV starting to come we back. We can slow down. Like I like I like reading the comic books and, and stuff, but for it got to be a little bit of a slog there. It did, and yeah. we're gonna when we when we start it up again, we're either going to branch it off into its own show or we're going to limit the amount that we do. Cause for sure. We can't keep up at the pace that we were going. Yeah. It can't be like an hour segment. Ooh, speaking of comic books, though. Yeah. I got a call from my comic book shop Mm -hmm. person. Yeah. And she was able to get me, uh, locate me a copy of Titans Rebirth number one. So I get to pick that up. Yeah. I I might I might want to read that. I mean, I've already read it, but I might want to read that in actual physical form. So... (laughs) Um, well, just, I mean, keep in mind, I'm going to need you to have some, uh, you, you know, know the neoprene gloves. gloves and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Use the tweezers that's attached to a four foot long poking device. You know, no, I, I think it's actually pages. a second printing, which is fine. Cause yeah. <clears throat> there's, there's, I just wanted to, I, I wanted a physical copy of that book because I yeah. think it's amazing. So anyway, the, uh, the rival, uh, you had some interesting things here and I'm not as versed in so fa- flash I mythology. So this think, is interesting. I think, I think this is the rival. Um, I posted a couple pictures. I posted one of the Savitar from the comic books and one of, um, what is the new 52 reverse flash? Um, which I believe is the, uh, analog to the rival in season three. I could be wrong. I don't know for sure. There's for sure some similarities in costume and I did actually rewatching it with, after you told me. So what, what he told me essentially is that the new 52 reverse flash is Daniel West. Yeah. Correct it's Iris's me at any brother. Point if I'm getting this wrong. Yeah. It's Iris's brother. Um, he, he is the foil for, uh, that. So I'd be interested to see how we do that because in the, the show, Iris doesn't have a brother. Well, she does, but it's Wally. Oh yeah, we we have Wally. Yeah, I guess Wally's the brother, um, which is also different from the comics because I think in the comics it's like his her nephew or something right. like that. Um, but also not not uh, Daniel's kid because Daniel is a uh, white dude. Yeah, and so the other thing that's interesting here, possibly, is uh, you know, or that messes with everything is who knows? Maybe Iris in the new Flashpoint universe does have a brother. Although I'll be interested to see how they get, have that shape. We know up. she does because it's Wally. He's there. Well, no, what I mean is like um, this guy in the trailer is clearly not Wally. Um, so maybe she does have a brother in the Flashpoint universe. That's Daniel West, who becomes the foil for the first half of the season. Because it, it would be strange to me if they had both guys going the entirety of this season. It wouldn't surprise me too much if we had this uh, Flashpoint story, which you know has Daniel West and he's the bad guy. And then once we get back to you know Earth One, essentially the the proper uh, timeline. Uh, I'm, we then start in the Savitar thing. I'm willing to bet that it's not Daniel West or a relative. Yeah, um, you think it's unless be it's like a cousin or something like that. I don't think it's going to be um, really that much tied into uh, the comic books. I well, did want to put this in here though, just because of the similar similarities in costume, like the the weird spiky things coming off of it and stuff, and things like that. Because I believe it it definitely took some inspiration from it. Yeah. Um, 
But I mean, we don't know. Everything is speculation until See, the show actually. The reason I lean towards them actually doing that is because so far they've been relatively faithful. I mean, obviously yeah. they're taking their own spin on things, but they've been relatively faithful. Like even when we were first seeing, you know, Jay, uh, Jay Garrick show up in season two, we were like, well, that doesn't look like the Jay Garrick you'd expect necessarily. Yeah. Uh, which you know was a lot of fun when they flipped that and it became John Wesley's ship that was uh, Jay Garrick, uh, and then it turned out Jay was actually Hunter. You know that that all tied yeah. into the comics really well because you know Reverse Flash. Um, they're not reverse. Uh, Black Flash, that's not even right. Um, what the fuck? Zoom. Zoom. Zoom is you know trip typically Hunter Solomon. Um, so anyway, I- well, and traditionally in the comic books, um, Eobard Thawne was actually Professor Zoom, Zoom yeah. and or the Reverse Flash. He carried both monikers. Yeah. Um, for a time, so the fact that we have distinctly different characters um, filling all those roles is is uh a little new but all at the same time i mean what's a good comic book if it doesn't get retcon six times you know and it's yeah. lifetime so somebody's got to spend it a little bit on otherwise yeah. we'd be reading the same story every time yeah. um anyway since we were talking about the the um you know the the quote-unquote rival in this trailer i don't like the costume I hope I, I hope it I hope I when I see it in action I it, like it a lot better but it's I a little like the costume it's man. a little fantastic for um uh thing ish in it in that it looks kind of foam rubbery it does it looks a little bit like uh you know if like if I saw this at a con it'd be a really solid cosplay but so far the costuming in in um the flash has been pretty outstanding and this one it was the first I'm guessing there's gonna be like, some effects over oh, top yeah. of it so yeah, it's a little it bit more polished. Yeah, it just it's a little disappointing that they would throw that in the trailer if it's clearly not what we're gonna see because uh, yeah. it doesn't sell it very well. So yeah. Anyway, but, I don't I don't like the costume. I'm on record there. We'll see. Maybe I like this maybe costume. it does get better. I think if they'd have done a little bit, made it a little tighter, and made it this costume, I like that. See, and the they yeah i i agree like if they'd done that it just seems like the costume that we see in the trailer is a little bit like peacocky like he's got all these spiky shits flying off it i mean he looks like a dilophosaurus like the I thing that spit the shit on uh yeah park yeah on what's his face uh newman yeah, yeah. newman um, <laughs> <laughs> wrong character i'm mixing metaphors but i can't actually remember his name nedry from N- yeah nedry there you go um bonus points if you get his first name no i got nothing you know it. I am working on that. Uh, <laughs> it's Dennis. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to go from the line, Dennis, your financial problems are not my concern or yeah. whatever it is. Ah, it's a good pull, though. Yeah. It's a good pull. That was Solid actually, reference. That was actually one of the, the best exchanges of dialogue in Jurassic Park was between Hammond and Nedry. Oh, yeah. During that scene. So. Yeah. All right. So, um, not again. Not that that movie's ever been dissected for its acting chops. But, you know, <laughs> I'm sure lots of people were like, no, no that's never happened. Yeah. Um, so the other possible rumor here, which you uh, explain a little to the audience. Uh, and I have a cursory knowledge. But, yeah, let's for Bailey. Help for, me for out Mr. here. Mr. Bailey, not for me at all. Uh, tell us a little bit more. Well, I do know Savitar a little bit. But, OK, tell us tell us about Savitar. I actually haven't read a comic book with Savitar in it since probably some of the 90s stuff that I read. So I'm not even a good so, if I remember correctly, what the thing with Savitar was, is, and um, the last book I read, well, shit, um, I want to say it was in one of the New 52 
books had Savitar in it. And uh, the gist is essentially Savitar is like a religious sort of cult leader, um, I think, in a location not uh, ridiculously far from Gorilla City because the storyline that they they were talking about in New 52 that I or the one I remember. Oh, that was the that was the the period of time where like he was actually in the Speed Force. Yeah. I think when it was the Savitar thing. The Savitar, this Savitar right here, I think, which I'm more familiar with, is I think from the, some of the more 90s type Flash stuff when it was Wally. Yeah, but the 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 this Savitar or the Savitar that I was familiar with is sort of like this religious cult figure who uh, they're sort of they're Speed Force worshippers. Yeah, they worship the Speed Force. They're aware of the Speed Force, um, and for whatever reason, I can't remember exactly, but you know, they have to capture all the Speed Force and and you know whatever. Yeah. So um, th- that you know. G- cult leader gives you enough of an inf- information i think to see why he would be an enemy of the flash yeah um absolutely so um that's looking forward to that if nothing we- else this will be interesting because how are they gonna that that's uh they haven't really done two big bads in the same season so far um, so I don't know if that's just a leak and maybe Savitar or you know the rival only encompasses you know a couple of episodes like say grod did mm-hmm but I do think it'd be interesting if they went for a larger overall arc, uh, especially because, you know, they got the whole thing with Flashpoint going on this next season. So, um, yeah, Flash, I'm sure we're going to watch it and I'm sure we're going to talk about it ad nauseum on the show um, in the coming week. Now, is a Flashpoint going to affect, and I'm assuming it would, the Arrow? So, not initially. Um, not initially? My understanding is that we've got at least seven episodes of the Flash before we get to the giant uh, multi series crossover that's going to affect all four series on the cw okay and that's when we'll see ripple effects i think across the different the different shows i think until then they're all going to be treated as though things are happening as normal yeah and regrettably the only rumor that i've heard about this so far and i think we talked about this in the show a little while ago was um the arrow universe isn't going to have sort of minor impact like i think that something like diggle Diggle's uh, family situation or something like that is is changed in some way, and that was like the only you know rumor that we'd heard so far. So I'd be really kind of disappointed if that was the case. Like you know the, we've already had some time travel shenanigans in the in the Flash, and we got Hartley back out of it. Uh, yeah. So Arrow, Arrow, if nothing else, like when it, when I heard they were doing Flashpoint, I was like, oh great, oh. they're gonna fire Guggenheim, and we're gonna get a decent Arrow again because they're gonna retcon half the shit that he's done. And that's what I was gonna. That's what I was hoping for at least. I think that's what everybody's hoping for except <laughs> yeah. Guggenheim. So just pull a. Dave I think Future's I think even Willa Holland and... is is pulling for that. Yeah, that that uh, uh, Matt was showing me earlier before the show started. Um, Kev Kev posted something on Instagram. Um, you know our friend Kev, Kevin yeah, Smith. Kevin Smith. Uh, <laughs> you know we're on a first name, nickname, even basis. So yeah, uh, you know, I go just get him, Kev. Tiger. Yeah, Kev posted on Instagram um, something, and uh, Willa replied like, "Okay, now come across the street and direct some fl- direct some arrow." Yeah, um, which is is funny because um, I don't know if Ryan's familiar with the, the history, but uh, a long time ago, before Kevin even uh, started watching the Flash or anything. Um, Somebody tweeted Guggenheim and said, would you ever consider having Kevin Smith come on to direct an episode? And Guggenheim's answer was no. Period. Just one word. No. Period. Uh, And actually... disappointing. Well, but now, like, Guggenheim's kind of in an awkward position because he very successfully directed um, the The Runaway Dinosaur episode of The Flash last year. Um, Mm -hmm. He's directing episode seven this season, and then 
uh, and a month after that, he's going back to Vancouver to direct an episode of Supergirl. So it turns out there's a little bit of bad blood. Um, somebody asked Kevin about the tweet in, in an AMA, a Reddit AMA, asked me anything. And Kevin's reply was essentially along the lines of like, um, really, really briefly paraphrasing here. But he said they had done a pilot together uh, with a show called Reaper, which I actually watched. I think it was like a season and a half or two seasons, seasons yeah. which it was not a bad show. No, I own um, both. They're, it was a good show. Yeah. But Kevin directed the pilot or something like that, and uh, from the sounds of it, Guggenheim was a tool then and is still a tool now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it didn't sound to me like Kevin was necessarily like, uh, you know, like it wasn't like creative differences. It was like, it just sounded like Guggenheim was a douche. Of course, we're only getting one side of the story there, but there's a lot of uh, other evidence that goes on to show Guggenheim being a douche. So, If, if you ever wanted to see a show where a dog gets straight up thumped by a an opening car door like the pilot of reaper was amazing because <laughs> the, the main character sam um finds out that he actually has uh kind of superpowers like he he has to like he can um sense and and trap uh souls that have escaped from hell and whatnot but before he finds this out like there's like they pull up like him and him and um his buddy who was played by tyler labine yeah, amazingly played by Tyler Labine. Um, I think that was actually kind of how Tyler Labine got on the map, at least Bert, for me. Bert Wysocki was his name in the show. Uh, but like, all of a sudden, these dogs start chasing his station wagon that he's driving, and like, it's on Sock's side, and then, like this dog just like jumping up, yip, 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 and he's like, uh, "Do you want me to pull into a different spot?" He's like, "No, I got it." Boom. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing, uh, um, and I watched every episode of the show after that. So yeah. Uh, I, I like that show. It was actually a fun show. Um, it was really fun. Uh, yeah. I wish I. They talked about coming back and doing like an animated, um, third season, because all the all the people involved were like, yeah, we'd come back and do the voices for it, and then that kind of fell through the cracks. And then there was talk about doing a comic book continuation of oh, it. At one so that that actually worked pretty well. I think. I, I think you could do it easily. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would. I still. It would have to be well written, and it would have to be done. Um. I mean, I, I think in order to do that, you have to have the same people write the comic book that wrote the episodes because those characters are really well defined to me now. Yeah. So I uh, think you're probably right. Anyway, um, yeah. So it sounds like it sounds like there are still people pushing for Kevin to to direct Arrow, which. Like everybody, I think I, you know, it's it's really hard for me to believe that everybody else on the cast, you know, like so, like Willa, Willa, I think is probably one of the more outspoken one on the cast. Um, and she's she's a huge huge mark for Jay and Silent Bob. Like she met them at a con one time and was like super stoked about it. I think her and Jay were out back smoking cigarettes or whatever, and like it was one of the coolest things ever for her. So yeah, but I'm just saying, like uh, that that cast has got to be kind of like, is this really what we're doing? Like really, really? You know, this is the thing. This is where Kevin Smith's dialogue or like his talents lie, and that's in dialogue. And mm-hmm. Arrow is probably one of the most dialogue-driven of all those series. It kind of has to be because fewer special has effects, super nobody's superpowers. Yeah. Like it's, mm-hmm. and I, I really think that Kevin Smith directing an episode of that is money. I really think that they had this set up to be like this whole uh, thing where Arrow, uh, Ollie could have been like sort of the mentor um, to all of these incoming uh, uh, heroes. And instead they're making him a whiny bitch who's so worried about his girlfriend that nothing actually gets accomplished. Yeah. 
Yeah, just take just the direction we're going in is a train wreck. Which and now all of the <clears throat> support characters have left for various reasons. Not not the actors, but like the the actual characters themselves and storyline have left. And now all we have is Ollie and Felicity. And I'm just like, what? Yeah, it was like, um, come on, anything else would be okay, actually. Yeah. Um, Can Guggenheim but, just kick me in the balls now? But I, I, I think, mean, that's. I, you know, it, and at first it, it could be, you know, like maybe I've just, I'm not the target audience for the show. Maybe I'm just not the, you know, maybe I'm the one guy who just doesn't get it. But it turns out it's not. It's not just us. Like well, when you see the the sales of the Green Arrow comic book, which, uh, you know, really heavily put uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary back together um, and, and almost slap, you know, like, like just flop the dip out, dick out on the table and just hit Guggenheim right in the face with it, you know, like. When they say stuff like, oh, yeah, you couldn't do a book well, without... And the thing is, is Berlanti is the one that's really in charge over there. And eventually, he's going to have to put his foot down and be like, no. I, I That's got to be coming soon. I mean, I the rating, it, they just keep dropping. I mean, the ratings just keep dropping. So I mean, and we have Jeff Johns involved in the picture now, too. So, like, he's... I mean, he's always I, been involved with the TV side, but he's a little bit more important at Warner Brothers than he ever has been. So I think maybe... You know, Johns has got a lot of things going on right now and he's, you know, overseeing the Justice League and getting the Flash movie out the door and, you know, planning Aquaman and all that kind of shit. But you got to think that there's like tw- 10 minutes of his day where he's like sitting there checking the ratings and the and the things and the reviews for the TV products and he's like, oh, Flash. Flash is still doing pretty solid. Pulling in solid ratings for the CW. That's awesome. Uh, Legends Tomorrow, you know, not bad. Finding its footing for a first season show. You got Supergirl. Everybody's really excited to have that on the CW what the fuck arrow yeah like just what the fuck yeah yeah at some point at some point he's gonna have to grab berlanti and be like you gotta get guggenheim under control and he's like i've written a ton of shit i can write your powers just clean gone yeah so fix this (laughs) i just it's funny to me um this shouldn't come as a surprise and what's surprising actually to me is how guggenheim keeps getting put in charge of stuff because like he's got a slew he's he's an asshat it seems like but he's got a slew of very unsuccessful products under his belt like i don't know um you know the the first thing that springs to mind is the green lantern movie um yeah that's a good Mm -hmm. production yeah yeah fuck Uh, though i think um i want to say uh who's that guy that's always doing shit with nolan hans zimmer is the Uh, no that's that's the composer the uh the story writer, fucking god damn it! Why can't I think of his name? Yeah, his first credit on IMDb is writer Green Lantern. I don't know that I'd want that up there. No. Percy Jackson in the Sea of Sea of Tomorrow, Sea of Monsters, or, Sea of Monsters, sea of shit movie too. If you've ever read the book, like it's so fucking far off the mark, yeah. it's ridiculous. Uh, I think I watched the first Percy Jackson, but didn't care too much about the second. The first Percy Jackson was at least decent, sort of faithful. Yeah, but not near as good as as the book anyway so and i'm i realize i'm talking for books that are, are aimed at 12 year olds but yeah so anyway you got you got green lantern and percy jackson sea of monsters are his two you know big movie credits gosh what else we got x-men origins wolverine i shit you not he was a writer oh, on that yeah, that's right he was uh god damn yeah, so I mean, I, th- I think we know. Perfect Dark Zero, which was also kind of a train wreck of a oh, game. Oh, Goyer. I think Goyer was partially involved in, oh, in Green Lantern, there you too. go. Yeah, Goyer's, Goyer's the guy. So, everybody, Goyer is a very divisive figure, too, though. I think pe- some people like Goyer, and some people just hate him. Goyer gave some interviews uh, where he kind of revealed his true colors about some stuff and came across as a little crass and kind of lost some, some faith. 
Well, I think way. even as a writer, though, like I think people find find him fairly divisive. Like he has yeah. some moments, and then some, you know, pretty shitty ones too. But I, I think you, I think with Goyer, you have to pair him with somebody who's going to be a strong enough executive producer to rein him in, which Nolan obviously can. Yeah, um, but you know, but you, you don't want to put Goyer and Zack Snyder in the same room together because you're going to end up with a huge shit show. See, and even still, like I think we we talked about this a little on the last show too. Like even the Nolan universe. Um, which Goyer was a big part of, has some fairly gigantic flaws. Um, it just gets glossed over, I think, because the movies are... The otherwise... third movie has gigantic flaws. The other two are Pretty really well-done movies. Yeah. Um, All right. Anyway, let's stop shooting on Mark Guggenheim. We'll let life do that. Uh, Marvel. <laughs> We've got some Marvel news. We do. Uh, um, so just before the show, I happened to catch an article on Reddit, uh, and it says that Marvel has already filmed the next four Stanley cameos. To which I say, Excelsior! Yeah, and I kind of, you know, the the cynic in me is like, well, they're gonna they're doing that because he's gonna die soon. Well, he's like ninety three. Yeah, ninety three, ninety four. Even yeah. if he's not, even if he doesn't die soon, he's not gonna be able to do cameos for much longer, and that's just super, super sad. Like, you want to talk end of an era? Um, there's a uh, Stan Lee's contribution to comics and the movies that we know and love today is all of the comic books. Yeah, basically. that's that's his contribution. Basically, uh, th- there's few guys I yeah, think ninety three more responsible for um, most of the products that we know and love today uh, than Stan Lee, or at least it you know had his fingers in a lot of it. So. Anyway, I just thought that was funny. Also kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we talked about this uh, several episodes back about how uh, I think this year's Fan Expo is going to be his last uh, Canadian con. Yeah. Not that there's a lot of cons in Canada, but it, it could have been like one of his last cons anyway because he's not... It's not that he's not healthy, but he is 93, and it's just the tour to schedule when shit. you're doing yeah. all those cons is kind of ridiculous, and he doesn't need to. No. You know what I mean? So I, I you know, see that's the thing that I like about Stan though, is I get the feeling that he definitely doesn't need to. He I think he he genuinely does it because he uh both enjoys and likes the fans, you know, like yeah. uh so yeah. Here, here's I'm the thing saying, about Stan. That's he created the culture that we have. A lot of a lot of classic comic book characters, you know, like Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Fantastic Four, X Men, all that stuff is him. The yeah. Avengers, you know, is is a is is him. Not extremely. Uh, they don't hold up if you read those books now. Um, no, really, really dialogue uh, driven and really, really geared toward a lot younger people than me. And what's funny is if you think about it, it speaks to our culture these days because right now, the age group that those comic books were were written for that can't hold their attention. Like they don't have the attention span to sit down and read that much dialogue in a book. Whereas back in the sixties, your younger audience actually would read it and absorb every word of it. And and it was great. But, uh, see, I think it's a little bit of both because, you know, like you were just talking a few minutes ago about reading the Percy Jackson books, in spite of the fact that they're geared towards a much younger audience. And though I haven't read Percy Jackson, I've read plenty of other books that are, you know, quote unquote, YA Harry Potter. Harry Potter Chronicles is it? Narnia, yeah, all yeah. of that, all of that stuff. Um, it's geared towards a different audience, but I think that one of the things that you know is one of the reasons we talk about those books is because they sort of transcend the audience that they're geared towards. And so I think um, Stan Lee's work did that a lot, and not necessarily because um, you know today it holds up well, but because it was a different thing I think to do 
at the time he was doing it. Um, and yeah. so that, that I think, you know, people would, you know, try to imagine Spider-Man or something like that. And, uh, I remember, you know, very vividly, like as a kid watching, you know, like the, the, the cartoons. And I think there was a live action thing that I was excited about, even though it was really super shitty, like, um, and so it wasn't until, you know, around nine, late 90s, early 2000 when they were starting to do, uh, Sp- you know, like Spider-Man, for example, uh, and you could actually start seeing these heroes, like the way that you pictured them in your heads, the way that the panels on the comic book showed them. Um, so, you know, you just you can't talk about any of this stuff without really realizing that Stanley was a big part of that. He doesn't get all the credit. I mean, there's a lot of other writers and a lot of other artists on those books and stuff like that, but he's a huge part of that. Um, and then, of course, having leadership positions within Marvel and, and being, you know, a, a lot of the driving force, which helps make that make that stuff happen. Um, just, yeah. Stanley was Marvel Comics for Oh, a yeah, while. definitely. So, yeah. I mean... Like I think I think from the the you know fifties to early seventies like every other book had a Stanley credit on it or something like that so yeah uh, anyway Stanley uh, gosh you know when he dies uh, it'll be for me like how a lot of people got you know over like um, all of these other famous people that die all the time you know like it's always a big deal and except for like I think we've even talked about this on the show a few times it's like oh yeah that's a big deal except for I don't really care there'll like, be a moment of silence on the show almost guaranteed. For sure. Which is easy for us because we don't actually have to have a moment of silence. We just edit one in after the show. So <laughs> I did see somebody say like a funny thing of Stanley and all his cameos. They're like, you know what would be cool is if they introduced him as being like the watcher after all these years. That would be of funny. Being like in all these cameos and just be like, yeah, I'm the watcher. You know what movie he didn't have a cameo in? The most recent Fantastic Four. <laughs> uh, I mean. That makes sense. They made all the other bad decisions. I don't think he had one in... Did he have one in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2? I yeah, know he had he one did. in Amazing Spider-Man. In Amazing Spider-Man. I'm Sp- fairly sure he did. school. He yeah, was sitting I, in the bleachers, and he's like, hey, I know that guy. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Because he was the librarian in the first one. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was fun. So... Actually, that would be phenomenal. I really want them to do that before, uh, definitely before Stanley actually does die or stops doing the, doing these things. That would be amazing if they just vaguely refer to him as the Watcher and like never explain it. You know, just some sort of tribute for him. Yeah. Um, all right, moving on to slightly less depressing news. Uh, Luke Cage um, just dropped a new trailer this week, and like we discussed at the beginning of the show, we're probably going to be watching this damn whole damn thing on friday because that's what the netflix marvel properties have done for us uh we know that they're great and we just kind of watch them as soon as possible this trailer did nothing but reinforce that for me and in fact i've i've mostly been right now on uh running on the steam of the other netflix shows saying i'm going to watch this one from front to back as soon as possible this trailer was the first one that i think was really like oh i'm getting a sense of the story and yeah that looks awesome yeah these these netflix marvel shows um it took me a long time to finish daredevil season one i think i remember not having actually watched the last couple episodes and i was like wait a minute why haven't i watched those yet um so i did that and then i actually watched all of daredevil season two before i actually finished jessica jones and but once i actually really got invested and Jessica Jones, I could not watch it either. So yeah, I'm I'm looking at Luke Cage with I'm, more. Jessica Jones did win an Emmy. Jessica Jones was an awesome show. Yeah, um, it won an Emmy. I know that. It. My schedule is really weird when it comes to TV because of the fact that I do have kids and uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and uh, presumably Luke Cage are definitely not approved for no. all audiences. Mm-mm. So. Uh, but when Daredevil season two came out, like you couldn't stop me from watching that 
show because of how yeah. good John Barenthal was as a Punisher. What's uh, that man doing, sweetie? Oh, he's hiding a razor blade in his wrist so he can escape later. Yeah. Um, the uh, Electra storyline was, I thought, fantastic with the hand and everything else. Um, Stick came back, and who doesn't love Stick? So, um, Luke Cage, I'm definitely going to marathon quite a bit. I don't know if I'll have it done done by the time we sit down and record next week, but we'll be able to talk a good portion of Luke Cage next week. Yeah, I feel like that's probably true. Um, uh, which is actually awesome because it'll be just in time because the following week we'll be actually reviewing first episodes of The Flash and Arrow because The Flash comes back October 4th, Arrow October 5th, and Supergirl will be the following Monday. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I couldn't be more excited. Like, the... the uh, I was already going to watch this, like I said, just based off the strength of the other two Netflix shows and seeing how well they're doing with the Defenders in general so far. This was already a must-watch for me, but I just... The, as the, each trailer comes out, it's kind of like... I want to watch it even more. Yeah. Now I want to watch it a little bit more than I did five minutes ago. And so here we are. And I'm just, you know, almost salivating about watching the show. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super, super excited. Plus we get juice. Yeah. Juice is going to be in there. Yeah. Juice is juice. I'm I'm curious in the storyline, like, what do you do with a guy like Luke Cage against guys that just shoot guns at you that clearly can't. I am curious to do anything. You hit them with car doors. Well, yeah, but I mean, for them, they, he they what makes can't him, do anything. What what gives him any sort of weakness? Um, and probably I, his loved ones. I'm assuming uh, he got shot point blank with a with a handgun and was in a coma for a while. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's got weaknesses. They're I'm just sure not they're shotgun. readily available. It might have been a shotgun. To it the was head. a shotgun. <laughs> but even still, like you had that similar sort of thing when with the opening. It well, no, because right away they set up Jessica Jones with you know here's here's what her Achilles heel is, and that essentially was the Purple Man. And all the psychological damage that she did. So, I don't know. I'm guessing we're going to get at Luke Cage. has got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because his wife died and, uh, you know, that whole thing. But, man, I just cannot wait because you know there's somebody to get... Like, you see hints of it in the trailer, but you know there's going to be some badass sequences with Luke Cage just wrecking dudes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I think with uh, season two of Jessica Jones, when they finally start doing it, I think Luke Cage probably plays a more prominent role because, as we know in the comic books, and maybe you don't know, but um, they those two end up actually together and they have a kid at some point. So, uh, yeah. well, I don't necessarily think you do one without the other at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jessica Jones show up at least once throughout the Luke Cage run. It seems like they're definitely not done. Yeah. So, um, all right, let's move into some miscellaneous news. Uh, so we were talking about how long iPhones are supported in a previous show. So I went ahead and stuck that in the show notes for this week. Um, you can peruse that at your own leisure, but the short of it is like some of the phones go as short as four years, but we've got many, th- uh, no, sorry, three, three is the shortest amount of support you got with an iPhone. Um, and, uh, now we're getting to places where some of the phones are getting five years of support or even more. Um, so, for example, the iPhone 5S has five years of support already, and presumably... Uh, it has four. The oh, 5 has I, five. Okay, you're right. Sorry. The 5 has five years so far, and it's not clear whether or not it's going to drop off after this, although I would think probably that that would be the same place to do it, so... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you want if you want iPhone updates uh, or if you want updates to your phone, uh, getting an iPhone is a good way to make sure that happens. However, I will say, having been around, especially in the three G, four, five, and you know all those ranges, when my three G first got iOS four, it was basically like, well, this phone might as well be a brick now, and it's time to get a new one. And when my iPhone four first got updated to iOS six, uh, that six point whatever. 
uh, fixed it, but iOS six on the iPhone four was pretty goddamn painful. Yeah, at least initially. Um, firsthand, I, I installed the iOS ten um, OS on a five S. Yeah. Uh, last week and uh, didn't seem to suffer any ill effects from that. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm running on this is one of the first ones like iOS 10. I just um, I'm running iOS 10 on an iPhone six. So we're getting you know it's a two year old phone at this point, but it still runs really super well. So yeah, I mean, granted the six S plus isn't that old at this point. Maybe it's a year old. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I guess it is a year old because the seven just came out. But uh, I did the 10 upgrade on it right away and it's i mean it's yeah. fine so we're we're i, I kind of like the place where we're getting to with phones in general because um they're just beasts we'll like, get to a point where the hardware doesn't matter as much yeah i mean we are getting to the point where uh single core performance is starting to match like intel's uh stuff and you know we're getting to the point where we've got three and four gigs of ram in phones which yeah. is exciting the the a8 and a9 processors were really huge leaps yep um, and now do we have an A10 in the seven? Is that what it is? That's correct. Yeah. So, and it's it, got some weird, like 3D it effects processing and things like that built into re- it. So referred to as, is just being a beast. Like it is, I, you know, I don't want to sound like a fanboy, but I think it's kind of the gold standard right now. Like there's nothing on the Android side that's beating it. And- AMD should take a page out of Apple's book when it comes to their processors and redesign their core because they've been stuck on the like the Phenom cores forever now and they can't compete. So This is really interesting to me because I- I'm not sure what it is that's driving Apple so far ahead in their um, SoCs, um, but their, their system's on a chip, man. Uh, they're sort of killing it. And uh, it really helps, I think, because they're, you know, the the whole stack is through Apple so they can design their operating system to best take advantage of their system on a chip. But um, it's pretty much widely regarded that even on equal footing, uh, those those chips are super, super solid. So, um, man, I- I'm excited to see what they do in the future. But either way, even on Android, it's not like they're, they're you know, running, you know, like some shitty old, you know snapdragon from 2008 or something like that yeah like uh the the things that we're putting in phones these days are getting super super impressive and we're getting to the point where um in a lot of tasks um you know they're equaling or matching you know what you'd get in a desktop computer or a laptop so uh exciting um gaming for example like i'm really impressed about some of the gaming performance you can get out of an iphone um, or yeah. a, an, even an Android phone, but I think iPhones sort of got the the um, market cornered on. iPhones kind of always had the edge graphic, on that too. Like I remember, performance. iPhone had Field Runners, yeah. Um, before it ever moved over to the Android platform, and it ran silky smooth on even the three GS mm-hmm. or the three G, um, and even uh, some of the more advanced Android phones when they finally got Field Runners uh, for the platform was. See, I think that's one of the challenges. I think that's one of the challenges with having so many systems that they've got to design for and and you know think of. So, I had a um, an LG. Was it an LG? Mm. I had the G two. Yeah, that was an LG. And then I had a GTX. I think that one. I'm not sure about. Uh, that was the last phone I had with T-Mobile, and it actually had the Tegra two processor in it, and it could handle it because the Tegra processors were. Mm-hmm. Uh, Specifically, um, the Tegra gaming and graphics and stuff like that. The Tegra at at the that time was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So that's the iPhone support schedule. Yeah, uh, theoretically. Transformers. 
Yeah. Transformers. <laughs> They're going to do that. Transformers 2, 2, 5, 2, formers. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um, Whatever. So that joke didn't we found out a couple months ago that this is uh, already kind of a clusterfuck. Um, we're going to get King Arthur and Excalibur mm-hmm. and presumably Dinobots again. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're also apparently getting lots of Nazis. We are. And the way that we know this, at least, is because we've linked to an article in the show notes talking about how there's a lot of people pretty pissed off because the Transformers guys were shooting on the set at, or shooting Not at a set at, at yeah, Winston Churchill's sorry. home. They're, they're shooting at Winston Churchill's home, which, damn, that's impressive. Uh, and they've decided to cover it with Nazi paraphernalia. Yeah, people don't like that. They they don't understandably so. Yeah, um, the link in the show notes is going to be titled uh, "Transformers Not Just Pissing Off Fanboys Anymore" because yeah. it's just disrespectful in uh, every way. Are, are you going to watch this movie? No, I'm I mean not. I'll probably see it when it comes out on video or whatever. I'm not going to go to the theater. I'm not, see it. I'm not seeing it in theaters. I'm not wasting four hours of my life again. I don't even remember much about the last Transformer. I think we got a Transformer. I have no clue. That's that's I, what I remember I do, about that movie. I think I did watch it once it came out on, on video or whatever, but... The one thing I remember is how long it took for the Dinobots to show up, and that was it. Dude, I remember specifically being impressed with Grimlock. When I actually saw Grimlock, I was like, okay, that's cool, but there's not enough of this. No. I just... So. This series has run its course. Like, it's amazing to me that we've gotten this far. Even. Dude... I didn't hate Transformers One. I didn't even hate Transformers Two. I mean, I neither really one liked of them... Transformers One. Transformers Two, questionable. I really mm. did enjoy Transformers One, if nothing else, because it was a fun spectacle to go see in the theater. But um, you can't uh, that that to me is not a franchise. This um, is this is going to be an unpopular remark, but I'm kind of a Shia LaBeouf mark. Like, I I think he's actually really good at what he does. He, is. he gets a You're lot not of the shit. Only one. And he's it's a little crazy sometimes. I was gonna say he's kind of crazy now. Like he's kind of he's like he's like I should do what Gary Busey's been doing. For I the last say he's or less so crazy and more. He has found a way to reinvent himself that has kept him in the spotlight, regardless of what he do, what he does. I think it might be both. Yeah, you never know. Um, um, it, it, either that, or he's a way better actor than I give him credit for. But uh, I mean. Here's the thing, like the the problems that Transformers uh, had, at least as a franchise, was not because of Sam Witwicky. Um, it was because of how Michael Bay handled the franchise, and that's not Shia's fault. I mean, just Michael Bay. Y- you could really stop there. I mean, Michael Bay's got talents, but he's another one that's like uh, we give Zack Snyder shit all the time for being um, not really overzealous. Yeah, not really a good story guy. Maybe great at effects and great at doing you know sort of the scenery sort of stuff um, as a director, but he, he really shouldn't be too heavily involved with the story. But Michael Bay is that times a hundred. You know, like yeah. he just really has no business anywhere near a story. Uh, and his primary talent it seems to be blowing shit up, um, which he excels at. Don't get me wrong; he can blow some stuff up with the best of them. Uh, but man, uh, just the last few sto- the the even the first Transformers movie, you didn't watch that for the storyline. Um, but you know, once you're three or four movies in, uh, you kind of have to care about the storyline a little bit because you've already seen the the sort of spectacle of it all, already. And you know, like to your credit, you know, they could have added some spectacle if they went with the Dinobots somewhere within the first two hours of the movie. Um, but instead, it was there for the last ten minutes, and then that was it. So. Yeah, yeah. It felt like five minutes did, to me. Yeah. But... Did Did you see? Uh, 
Terminator Genesis? Yes. I don't think I did. Um. So, sadly, it's not the worst of the movies. No, it's right? not. I actually read an older article from shortly after that movie came out, and it was an interview with James Cameron. He actually really liked the movie. He actually considered that to be a, the better, the best continuation of T2 that he'd seen on screen. What? And Cameron is kind of a genius. I haven't seen Genesis, so but I will I give it to see, you. Like I can see where in that movie, if you made some edits to it or some directional changes, it would have been the story I liked. Ex- ex- and then that's the, that's where I'm at. The performances, not necessarily, because I didn't care for the comedic relief that uh, Arnold's character played no. in the movie. And Jai Courtney took it a little, a little bit away from. I, I don't think from I've seen this one. What was the mo- one with? Uh, um, the the kid from Avatar, not the kid. He's probably my age, but uh, Sam Worthington. Yeah, Sam yeah, that Worthington. Was, that was uh, Salvation. Okay, yeah, yeah, I saw Salvation, and that movie kind of sucked. Actually, Salvation got a lot of shit, but I liked mm-hmm. it more than a lot of people because people went into it thinking it was going to be a movie about John Connor, specifically because they got Christian Bale to be John Connor. But that movie was one hundred percent about Kyle Reese, and I always, I have always thought that Kyle Reese was kind of the unsung hero of that series see and i think if they so. handled that well it could have been what i what i'd heard a lot about that movie was that um they got they got christian bale to play it and so they had to justify a role for christian bale to be in the damn movie yeah. and and as such uh that sort of let the um that character spin out of control a little bit more than it should and it kind of weakened the story there was but anyway there were some rocky parts of that movie and i just distinctly remember that having watched the trailer for it what I thought I was getting was not anywhere close to the finished product, which was a little disappointing. But yeah, no, that movie wasn't wasn't trash. Like T three was trash. Uh, Absolutely, one hundred percent, completely yeah. fucking garbage. Yeah, just I can't think of a redeeming quality. It just sucked. Claire Danes was a big name mm-hmm. back then, and she couldn't pull that movie out of the fucking gutter. So yeah. Um, and then we got Salvation, which, and I don't, I haven't even seen Genesis, so that I guess is uh, sort of a statement of where we, where I'm at with the Terminator franchise today. Um, and that said, Terminator Two, one of my favorite movies ever. You should definitely watch Genesis. Um, In all honesty, I forgot that that movie existed. Yeah, um, my wife and I got a good kick out of it because it's kind of one of those movies that you're just like, well. I mean, it's it's kind of fun to. It'd be a good candidate for mystery science theater one of these days. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it just seems like that nowadays the Terminator movies are like something I put on in the background while I do something else. Like, there are some movies. Like, most of the time, most of my TV show watching, etc., is done on my computer because for you know the same reasons you have, which is like there's small kids running around and I don't want to have you know like zombies on the screen while the kids are running yeah. around or whatever. So I watch a lot of that shit on my computer and there and I have a couple of monitors set up. So there there are movies where I uh, stick on one and you know it plays while I'm doing something else on the main screen and then there are movies that I stick on the main screen and I just sit and watch like you would at the cinema and um, yeah it seems like Genesis is <laughs> you not said cinema, cinema. Uh, I know I was like I'm getting made fun, made fun of that for that any second now um, but anyway uh, there are movies like that that I actually you know like make a point to pay attention to and it just seems like Genesis would be one that I stick up on the background screen and then you know uh, I don't know read something on the other so it's it's September twenty sixth as we sit here. You know what that means? 
What does that mean, Matthew? It means we are within a month and a half of Doctor Strange. That's exciting. I'm yeah. excited for Doctor Strange. Me too. And none of this stuff is in the show notes, people, so don't look for it. There's nothing about Terminator in there. We just, that was just a random segue. Um, that, that's that's what we do. We just <laughs> ramble off. All right. All right. Let's now we're gonna tongue punch Margot Robbie in the in the fart box. <laughs> yeah, um, Matt's really fallen in love with this phrase, which to me is kind of funny. I'm not in love not with the, the phrase as much as I'm in love with listening to her say it. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Because um, she's Australian. She is, and it doesn't help hurt that she's like one of the most beautiful people ever in creation. She's a right fine Sheila. Yeah, right fine. Um, anyway, what we've gotten here is a leak, uh, link rather, a leak. That'd a be leak. weird. A link to mean tweets. Um, if you're not familiar, Jimmy Kimmel does a segment on his show called Mean Tweets, in which he has the celebrities, uh, a whole bunch of different celebrities, come on the show and read. Uh, shitty tweets that regular people have left about them on the show. Yeah, uh, it is probably one of my favorite comedic bits. It, it's certainly like if Kimmel's show gets remembered for nothing else, it it should be mean tweets followed secondarily by the feud with Matt Damon. Yeah, um, <laughs> the 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 created feud with Matt Damon. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, those two things uh, justify the entire existence of Jimmy Kimmel's show. Uh, so, mean tweets is probably one of my favorite segments of anything ever. And uh, if the good news is, if you're just now learning about this, uh, you can go back and watch ten or twelve segments of mean tweets, and yeah. they're all pretty much gold. Like this is one of the few things that has been absolutely hilarious um from front to back yeah. each time the link that we included was actually uh from the nerdist uh because there was a chris evans mean tweet in that same segment but i watched it and i absolutely fell in love with the margot robbie robbie segment so i was just like this has got to go in there yeah uh that that one's really funny um Paul Anthony, Rudd's. Paul Anthony Rudd's. Mackey's was funny too. This Anthony was, Mackey's was funny. This was kind of like the uh, nerd movie edition because you had Anthony Mackie, uh, Paul Rudd. So Captain America and the Falcon. Yeah. And, and Ant Man. And, and Harley Quinn. And Harley Quinn. Um, um, and then Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. <laughs> and Melissa McCarthy's was the only one that I was just like, no, that one was kind of right. The, the Medea of white people. Yeah. I, I don't want to give it away, <laughs> but that's that's what it was. Uh, Hallelujah. Melissa McCarthy is kind of the Medea of white people was the tweet that she read. And even the audience was kind of like, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like even she was like, yeah. Like, I she's going to go home and think about that one, I think. <laughs> like, go home and lay on her bed of money, more than likely, and be like, ah, oh, that's just horrible. And then, you know, do like a, a money angel, I would assume, is yeah. what happens. She's gonna dive her into her money bin. She she's like, movie. "Oh, it's this is so terrible." Um, and then she's gonna go star in another movie that makes a gajillion dollars. She's kind of the mob eagle of the of Hollywood. I mean, I mean, I, she didn't outright steal Scrooge's money bin, but she kind of has probably a lot more money than <laughs> maybe l- most of the actors of her caliber would I just, have. I don't think that they're wrong. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a little hard because there's a lot of actors like this. Like we were even talking about Chris Farley, who is a national treasure. But when you think about it, Chris Farley of his of his day is not really altogether all that dissimilar. Chris from Farley played kind of one character, yeah, and that was Chris Farley, yeah. Uh, and I don't know why I, I give that one a pass, but Melissa McCarthy is kind of like, well, well. I think because of the physical comedy that Chris Farley was was willing to put himself through, like he. You know, and the, he made an ass of himself, and he knew it a lot of the time. Melissa McCarthy, I guess, kind of, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about her uh, in a couple segments. Uh, but 
I just oh you know what actually her equivalent for me is Ben Stiller because yeah. I know everybody's gonna like there's I'm sure there's Ben Stiller fans you out can there milk but anything like, with nipples he's he's the one that I just every time there's something with Ben Stiller and I'm just kind of like yeah, I I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk like me? My, she's like my Will Ferrell. Like I, I anything Will Ferrell. I think I Will just... Ferrell has more range. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. doubt that either. Because I mean, okay, so and I'm just gonna throw this one out there, but you have Will Ferrell who plays Will Ferrell in most movies, but then you have Ron Burgundy, and Ron Burgundy is a little bit different from Will Ferrell. Like when he's Ron Burgundy, uh, you don't understand what you're getting and honestly the best example of that is if you've ever watched the comedy central roast of justin bieber not yet no ron burgundy comes out toward the end of it he's not actually part of the uh of the of the guest list he shows up and literally like flicks his cigarette ashes on justin bieber (laughs) while he's doing his thing like (laughs) it's it's pretty amazing I get why people don't like Will Ferrell, but I really do. I, and, like, I, I understand that, again, psychologically, just like I like Chris Farley, and he's kind of a wind-trick pony, so is Will Ferrell for the most part. Although I will give him Will Ferrell at least that, uh, he, you know, maybe Chris Farley would have gone on and done some of this stuff if he'd gotten a chance. But with Will Ferrell, at least, he's done other movies like Stranger Than Fiction, which show that he has a little bit more range he does, than he yeah. n- typically gets credit for. Um, but I get why people would see a movie with him and be like, ah, it's that I don't want to see Will Ferrell be Will Ferrell well, again. And here's the thing, man. I'm not against women comics either because I, I think there's a lot of really funny women and comics no, we, out we're there. We're definitely going to have to come back to this subject in just a second because we, we're going to talk about Ghostbusters 2016. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a whole slew of women comics. So Yeah. But, I mean, you think about things like Tina Fey. Oh, Tina Fey. Tina Fey doesn't yeah, have genius. a lot of range either, but she's hilarious every time and if you put tina fey next to jimmy kimmel i'll pick tina fey not jimmy kimmel fallon jimmy fallon yeah i'll pick tina fey any day of the week i i kind of agree like tina fey um gets what she doesn't laugh at her own jokes at the very least and (laughs) fallon it still hasn't mastered that so (laughs) no his weekend Um, updates were some of the worst but then again i grew up in the kevin nealon era so what are you gonna do kevin nealon was kind of a weekend update for me Yeah. yeah and dennis miller before him but yeah um, I got to pee, so... We'll be back after let's, this. Let's do that. <laughs> All right, we're back. We are back. Um, we've got some more... Actually, we've got some TV to talk about. We do. Finally, we're back. For the first back. time in forever. Yeah, we are back. It it, it was a long summer, folks. Um, and, of course, the, we were referring to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, yeah. This being a Which, pretty big episode, actually. I, we've introduced, I, I think, one of the largest characters this show's got to tangle with. Yeah, I actually realized last week that I hadn't finished the the last, like, eight episodes of season three. And so I I think I was texting Eddie while I was watching some of them. And they made some really, really bold choices mm-hmm. at the end. But uh, they all paid off. Like, um, Hive um, exposing himself to uh, Coulson as, like, his true form and stuff like that with the weird squid head and sh- stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. But uh, really what season three did for me was develop Daisy's character um, like to the nth degree compared to what it was before. Um, she's always kind of been one of my favorites because, well, I mean, she's she's nice to look at, but also she's um, she's sort of meant to be like she's set up to be like the a little bit of the uh, Mary Sue for the audience, like who gets to sit in and watch this I've relatively kind of, ordinary person get superpowers. And all yeah, that I've kind of appreciated her character because like when she first finds out she's an inhuman and finds out what the inhumans are all about and stuff like that, she immediately takes a stance of we have to protect these people. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
you know, I'm a hundred percent willing to admit that the Inhumans are Marvel Studios' way of not writing X Men stories because Fox owns those rights. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of a dick move, by the way, guys. Kind of a dick move. They're doing it really well. They um, are. Yeah. And the Inhumans have been around for a long time. They just haven't necessarily been on X Men level ever. And now that that's what Marvel Studios has to work with, that's what we're doing. I always got the feeling, actually, that the X or the um, they were kind of a a. Uh, bastard child you know like uh the same way that a green arrow was originally a batman analog you know uh i kind of got the feeling that inhumans was originally like an x-men analog you know like sort of the poor man's Mm -hmm. uh x-men yeah um and so now marvel i guess to stick it to fox has decided to make the inhumans interesting and so you know they're centering a civil war around in and in inhuman um and you know obviously we've got uh civil war 2 rather the comic book storyline yeah and now we've got Inhumans featured prominently in S.H.I.E.L.D., so, um, yeah. yeah and so much to the point where we've kind of overtaken some of the X-Men titles and, and comics, and we have the all-new Inhumans, and we also have uncanny Inhumans yeah. uh, as well. So, you know, take that as you will. But uh, yeah, So that was seasons two and three of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. that really focused on the Inhuman um, issues. But season four, we've got a whole new... Baby's got a brand new bag, as as it were. Yeah, so we should mention very briefly, at least, that we're going to spoil things. Uh, so if you haven't watched S.H.I.E.L.D. yet, um, and you plan to, and you don't want to hear spoilers, uh, turn back now. Yeah, you guys know that. Yeah, I hope so. so. I, I mean, mean, if this is your first issue of the Whatever Show or uh, episode of the Whatever Show you picked up, we do tend to spoil stuff. Yeah. Um, so let's just, I mean, this isn't even a spoiler because this has been advertised, but we get Ghost Rider this season. And yeah, for sure. Not only do we get him this season, but we get him episode one. Um, this is not, this is not your Nick Cage Ghost Rider though. This is, uh, the character himself is different. This is not Johnny Blaze. This is, uh, Robbie Reyes. Yeah. Um, actually, Valen and I were talking about this yesterday. Uh, the Robbie Reyes character actually has only been around. I believe he made a brief cameo at the end of. 2013 in a comic book um and then picked up his own series in 2014 so he's a year and a half old as 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 far as being a character goes um this is a different ghost rider than what we're used to seeing because this is not a man who is uh possessed by the spirit of vengeance Mm -hmm. um and that we haven't gotten into this in the uh um shield episodes yet but this is kind of to give you an idea of where this character could go and it seems to me like they're kind of following the storyline pretty closely at least um, as close as they can for being TV. Um, the demon that he's possessed with or, or spirit that he's possessed with is actually um, his uncle, who is a, a murderer. Uh, and uh, because we're using the Robbie Reyes character, that means we may actually get to see Johnny Blaze at some point throughout the, the course of this because um, in the comic book storylines, uh, basically... Um, Robbie Reyes kind of has to come to come to grips with the fact that his uncle's a, a prick um, and agrees to satisfy his bloodlust by killing evildoers and whatnot. And that's kind of all well and good. Um, there's also a storyline with his little brother who we saw in the, in the episode at the end of the episode in a wheelchair mm-hmm. uh, in the comic books. He's more mentally handicapped than physically. And he finds out through the course of, of events that actually his uncle caused that to happen by pushing his mom down the stairs when she was pregnant and whatnot. Um, but Johnny Blaze is actually the one that kind of finds out exactly what what the spirit is because he performs the um, penance stare 
on on Robbie Reyes as Ghost Rider and whatnot. So, okay, so there's a whole bunch of dots that just connected. Number one, <laughs> I did not get that at all when uh, Ryan and I were talking about this pre-show. I like he was telling me this, and I just did not understand. I think exactly what was going on. So, number one, that's why my response probably didn't make any sense then. Uh, number two. Uh, I don't think that we're going to get Johnny Blaze. I thought that them doing Robbie Reyes is a, is a clear distancing from uh, Johnny Blaze, uh, just because they don't le- they don't want to be associated with Nick Cage's Ghost Rider. Uh, at, at least that's you know my thought. It was kind of the same reason why we talked about when we talked about Spider Man in general that uh, Miles Morales was on the table because I thought for a little while that they would want to distance themselves from uh, Peter Parker in the last few Spider-Man movies. Of course, we now know in hindsight that I was totally wrong about that, so it's entirely possible that, uh, you know, episode four is going to bring us Johnny Blaze, but whatever. I I don't Um, think it would be as soon as episode four. I think it would be something that was kind of played out, and maybe you see him at the end of the season. Um, And maybe not even as Ghost Rider, or maybe you only see him as Ghost Rider on his motorcycle in the distance, you know what I mean? Yeah, like some sort of like cameo level stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that this connected with is that um, they just released a promo that I watched. It's like a two-minute uh, promo. It's not exactly a trailer. It is actually almost like just a straight-up scene from the show. Um, and it was talking about... It was Daisy basically talking to Robbie, and she was... Um, basically pointing out how much she knows about him so there's a bunch of guys standing around the shop and uh her and robbie are talking and she is kind of pointing out pointing out you know sort of subtly to robbie um and all the rest of the people around how much she knows about robbie and so she mentioned his uncle uh and now i think you're probably totally right like that's exactly the direction they're going to go with this character um yeah when I first heard that it was going to be Robbie Reyes and stuff like that, I was really curious. And then when I watched the episode, it, a lot of the pieces kind of fell into place that they really are kind of trying to stay true yeah. uh, to the Robbie Reyes character as much as they can. Uh, super excited about it. Uh, oh, I think you Yeah, so far it's really good. Like, I really enjoyed this episode. I was honestly... Um, I was reticent about him coming to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I was really, really hoping that, that Ghost Rider would end up being a Netflix series. Yeah. He so would have I, melded into that world really well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because he's, I mean, he does everything from street crime all the way to, you know. You know, the, the only reason I, I evil, don't so. necessarily agree with that, or I don't think that it would be as good of a fit with a Netflix series as, that we have going on, is they just don't have that element of magic that... Uh, Not yet yeah. oh I mean, we had maybe a lot of stuff w- with the hand in but, daredevil season two there but was a lot of stuff i was gonna say there. the hand is an interesting aspect against that and then secondarily we we've got some iron fists coming up so yeah. i guess that shouldn't be the thing that stops them so yeah um but i think ghost rider is kind of the character that i think you have him in agents of shield but i don't think that that means you can't use him elsewhere I I hope that that's the way they look at it now, and really, that's if I got one wish, I think for comic book properties in general, I would say that like stop, you know, stop penciling yourself into one corner. As in, this is only going to be a, a TV character. This is only going to be a movie character. Like throughout their runs, most of the characters have had a successful, uh, um, um you know, periods in any medium, you know, like we've had Batman show that worked out pretty well. Um, of course we're going all the way back to the sixties and that's probably the worst example, but, um, we've had Superman shows that worked out really well and we've had Superman and movies that worked out really well. And, you know, it's clear with, you know, the, the glimmer of hope that we got from early arrow that there could be a good Batman show. Um, you know, Gotham's obviously on TV, which we're going to come back to in a minute. Um, Gotham's doing pretty well. Uh, and you know, that's something that's kind of limited to the, uh, the, 
you know, TV properties. So there's just so much mythos. Like I think that limiting yourself to one medium or the other is sort of the wrong choice because a lot of these characters are best served by being in multiple mediums. What's weird to me when it comes to TV and especially when it comes to DC Comics slash Warner Brothers is how much protection they give Batman over all the other characters. Oh, I yeah, I don't disagree I mean, at all. Warner Brothers owns DC in perpetuity. Like, they don't have to look to other people to get permission to, to put their characters and stuff. See, Batman is actually the example that most strikes me as being absolutely crazy to not mix mediums for because Batman, I think, really would be best served by TV most of the time, except for we've had some phenomenal movies that you just need the scale of a movie to do uh, uh, properly. So, um, but a lot of Batman's villains, a lot of Batman's run is facing down street level thro- street level guys, and, and you know more cerebral in nature, and could be better served by you know having an episodic format. Um, you know, of course, you know the big Joker storylines. You know, those things are really good on on movies, and we like having the special effects budgets for those and stuff I, like that. But I honestly just, think to do the Joker right, it would be better on TV because I think you can do. Uh, an extended storyline. I think there are Joker. There's a lot of Batman arcs. I think that the Riddler for that matter. There's a ton of Batman arcs that I think could be served very, very well on TV. You know, like one of the things notably absent from Gotham, because I think Gotham for a while was doing the whole um, long Halloween sort of, or maybe year one, Um, you know, really mob influenced, really, uh, you know, mob heavy. And obviously that worked out fairly well uh, as an episodic you know, thing, and I think that that could be. And it, obviously, Batman begins in the whole. I actually uh, like the storyline in season one between Falcone and, and Maroney and the Penguin mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like that, yeah. that was actually one of the things about season one that worked yeah. uh, much better than other things in season one. I just think if if they took, um, you know, Game of Thrones, I think is the perfect point to make about you know how you could do these stories well, and that's because everybody is super super reverent of Game of Thrones. Like the creators are super reverent of the material, and HBO puts in a ton of fucking money. Like the budget that Battle of the Bastards had, you know, the the right. last yeah. season, the budget was probably on par with uh, uh, um, most high level indie flicks. You know, yeah, um, it, it was certainly probably one of the most expensive episodes of TV of all time and if you did the same thing with Batman I think you could see similar successes and not just Batman though though. there's tons of properties that could be extremely well suited and well served by having that level of care and that level of attention and just sheer well damn look at what HBO did with Spawn like you had a Spawn movie that was mediocre at best and did all like poorly theatrically from what I can understand what I remember Um, it did yes definitely but then you had the animated Spawn series on HBO that was fucking phenomenal. It it took material right out of the comic books and animated it um, with an excellent voice cast. Yeah, you know, Just, there's there's just... characters there's characters that are better served in a in a in a medium that can be told over time. Yeah. You can't tell a Batman story in two hours. I mean, you can't when, do it. When like, you stop and think about it, it seems natural real. that a lot of them would be. Uh, uh, TV series because you know when you talk about comics that's really all it is it's just one big you know episodic you know sort of thing Uh, and so telling uh, or having the movie usually ends up you know trying to distill down one storyline into its best parts Uh, and you know that's worked with mixed success so far Um, 
Green Lantern, you know, Green Lantern is the polar opposite of that example. Green Lantern tried to distill down gigantic arcs into its its pieces, and that completely, you know, just backfired right in their faces. Yeah. So, um, I mean, while we're on the subject of Green Lantern and Batman um, and Arrow and everything else, you should definitely watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, no, this, this episode in particular of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, just to kind of get us back on track, not to cut Eddie off from his thoughts, but we're going to talk no, that's about fine. we're going to talk about Batman here in a little bit anyway. So yeah, um, sort of, sort of. But uh, here's the thing for me, and the same can be said about Gotham too. But Shield has has been one of those shows that was slow to start for me. Definitely, season two definitely was better than season one. Season three was pretty good most of the way through. In fact, I was really. I couldn't figure out why I never finished season three when it was on TV, but I think that's just because uh, scheduling uh, and how yeah. much of time I have for TV. I mean, anyway. I kept telling you, I was like, I really enjoyed season three a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wonderful thing about this is that season four and the Ghost Rider episode, uh, I mean, just episode one of season four, actually started off at a really decent pace for me. Like, it didn't... I don't feel like... Uh, I I left off with a really really great season, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, now we're back to building a slow build Square again. One. You know, um, season three kind of felt like that a little bit, but it didn't take very long to pick up. Gotham's re- been really bad about that. Um, the second half of the season of season one was really phenomenal, and then season two kind of started out with some weird slower things to me, and so it took a while to build up into that, but. Arrow, or not Arrow, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4 seems to be, like, hit the ground running, and I, I'm really excited about tomorrow's episode. Yeah, that was one of the things I want to mention, too, as as far as hitting the ground running. Um, Daisy, man. Uh, so yeah. they've been building her up to be sort of a badass over the whole course of the series. I mean, she sort of started off as, like, a Mary Sue. She's less Daisy and more Quake now. Yeah, mm-hmm. hackery sort of, yeah. Daisy's a straight-up superhero in this one, like... The the last season or two, she's been sort All of Robin Hood, not un, even un- like weary a... of her, or un un um, hasn't been able to wield her powers very well, or has been somewhat rocky. This one, she's just like, oh yeah, I can kind of fly now. Um, there's stuff going on with her though. Yeah. Um, her yeah. bones can't handle the the feedback from her quakes, and so she's taking some pills, and I don't know what yeah. those pills are, and that's we're going to develop that storyline as we go along, too. So yeah. The other thing that was interesting, too, is we've got a new director of S.H.I.E.L.D. We don't know uh, who it is yet. It's not Coulson, and we don't know who it is yet. I mean, we know who's cast as it because he's credited already for the next episode on IMDb, but... Oh, really? Yeah. It's uh, nobody I'm to, familiar with. I'll have to go look. Um, but uh, that, I, that... I really kind of thought the way they were building it that it was going to be a character that we should know, and I don't think it is. That's, that's disappointing sort of disappointing and uh the other thing that i think we're eventually leading to is um a fury cameo I here's think we're here's, the, here's the thing cameo. though he's only credited as the director uh-huh. so once we find out his name his name might be somebody from marvel that we're familiar with and that makes sense so yeah okay but the actor himself i'm not no clue yeah gotcha anyway this was a pretty solid um story overall like i i like this i like where they're going with this yeah. um watching the promo for the next one with the, the the ghostwriter and all that kind of stuff looks really rad so i can't wait to see what they do with this and going back to your point of you not thinking johnny blazer it's too soon i don't think it is because like with the peter parker thing in the new spider-man i don't think marvel's afraid to take that risk 
No, it's well, not that it's too soon. It's that I think they just want to get away from him. And people haven't really seen Ghost Rider since the first movie because let's face it, three people saw Spirit of Vengeance. Yeah, I didn't even. <laughs> I didn't see it. I, dude, it was the worst eighty-eight minutes I've ever spent watching a film. And <laughs> I mean, don't that... get me wrong. A lot of the time, like I can watch Nick Cage chew the scenery like nobody's business. Oh, this was just bad. The director is played by Jason O'Mara, who is the voice of Batman. Yeah, in some of the animated in some of the animated films, but that's that's it. Like that's all I know him from. Yeah, pretty much the same for me. He's actually recognizable, but I don't know why else I would know him. Yeah, Vegas. I guess I never watched that show though. Terra Nova. I also didn't watch. I didn't watch either. I saw like two episodes of Terra Nova. Yeah, whatever. I probably saw more Vegas. Yeah, I I I haven't seen a single of either one, but um, yeah. Anyway, um, he's gonna be the director of Shield for at least a time. And we'll find out that he has a name, hopefully. I can't imagine they're going to go the whole rest of the episode, the next episode, which is entitled Meet the New Boss, and be like, this is the director. His name is the director. Right. We're never going to, you know. So yeah. We'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll shed some light on that tomorrow Within night. the first five minutes of the next episode, more than likely. Yeah. So, all right. Let's, uh, you want to talk some Gotham? All right. Ryan, so Ryan's saying goodbye, because he has a 16-hour uh, shift in about five hours. Yeah. And so. we're basically <laughs> going to be talking about things that just pretty much spoil it for him so yeah. uh thanks Rand, for coming on the show we look mm-hmm. forward to having you back if nothing else i mean i i don't think we're limiting you to, to just the wrestling episodes right no no, no he's, come back he whenever come back whenever he wants uh, but yeah he'll be here blast. i think at least in two weeks for no mercy I yeah think. no mercy and that one we plan on actually watching on sunday when it airs and podcasting immediately yeah, after that would be fun so okay all right yeah thanks Rand. no problem thanks for having me all right um so here's the big meat and potatoes part of the TV discussion because this is actually going to cover most of a season of a show that neither one of us finished during its initial run. Yeah, um, so for those of you playing the home game, uh, Matt finished basically all of season two, I think, in this last week or so. I was about half done when I started, so I watched about 12 episodes, I think. Probably. Okay, so that's not too bad. And I was only a little bit further than you. I think I'd watched 16 or 17 episodes. Uh, and then in the last day or two, I've watched the remaining you know, five or six. So um, we're both caught up as of season two anyway. I actually um, have watched season one or, he's, se- or season three episode he's one. He's watched the too. first episode. I have not. So... Um, Anyway, this is we were talking about this before the show started, and one of the things that we both found a little interesting is this is another th- sort of thing where we don't watch as it airs, or we haven't traditionally watched as it airs, but we'll watch it after the fact and really enjoy it and wonder why we didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, Gotham, um, especially season one and, and the first couple or six to ten episodes of season two were, uh, this is kind of how I felt about it is the first half of the episode doesn't necessarily matter because by the time you get to the second half, um, you, you kind of already know what's going to happen in the second half. Like you only have to watch a half an hour of an hour long show to really get it. And maybe, okay. So 20 minutes out of a 40 minute show without commercials. Um, but then, um, season two was actually done intentionally differently than season one was. Um, and that is the first season was like uh, was Rise of the Villains, and then the second half of the season was Wrath of the Villains, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but it was actually done really smartly, um, although season two, like the first half, kind of drug a little bit for me. Um, Eddie was a little bit more invested in the Jerome storyline at the beginning of it than I was, um, who's potentially going to be a candidate to eventually be the Joker at some point, but we don't know for sure. 
I think it's unlikely. I'm not sure we'll ever know the actual origin story of the Joker um, I, by design, but I think he was definitely set up that way, and I thought it, he played pretty well, I think. Yeah, uh, but I didn't care as much because I kind of, I've always been of the opinion that, like, we'll, we will never get a, a Joker origin because we we shouldn't get a Joker origin. Yeah, same. I thought, I, I, I liked it because I, I thought it was, um, he just basically because if we were going to get a Joker origin, he had a, you know, as plausible a point to be there anyway as anybody else. And he played the character really well, I thought. Yeah. I think it was definitely a tease. Yeah. You know I think I mean? so too. Uh, but uh, starting with the second half, though, like this show really, really picks up. Because, I mean, basically what you have is you have kind of the old guard um, rogues gallery uh, undergoing various changes, uh, you know, Penguin. Uh, and then uh, Barbara Keen, yeah, um, getting committed to Arkham and being in a coma and whatnot. Uh, so you have a a lot of those kind of situations happening, but not really introducing newer characters. No, and then they hit the midpoint, and all of a sudden, boom, Mister Freeze. Yeah, like <laughs> just like that. Yeah, and it's it's like they flipped a switch. Um, well, we got a little bit. I think I don't remember when Firefly came about. Firefly was, I think, we did get Firefly. Some... Yeah, we did. Yeah, and so... then, but she kind of disappeared pretty quick, and as a chick um, instead of a dude. Yeah, they they're doing a lot, I think, to set up villains. And here's the thing: Gotham still remains for me um, one of the things that's a little bit disappointing for me is that Gotham always has all of these things, but no Batman, um, mm-hmm. because. Uh, you know they've got all these villains they you know we're getting essentially the whole rogues gallery of batman villains like uh this season we got Azrael, we got uh uh firefly we got Mr. killer Freeze. croc i think was in there very briefly or at least alluded to we got clayface um <laughs> we're getting all of these different villains and of course don't don't don't, don't spoil the big one yet yeah we got to we got to build up to that yeah but no batman so far no batman here here's what we do have though we have a young bruce wayne He's pretty good, though. Who we're very quickly seeing. Um, we, we get to watch him figure stuff out mm-hmm. and and pick up different tricks and tips from other people and stuff. In fact, there's a really um, specific scene between Alfred and Bruce and uh, the kind of a gang leader named Cupcake. Yeah, I like that. Where Alfred um, kind of does a rope-a-dope, a la Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. um, to beat him. And like the very next episode or two episodes later, you see Bruce putting that into play um, and kind of kicking the crap out of a dude. Eventually it, he gets the shit beat out of him before that. But I mean, he does get his licks in before they have to fucking cut and run. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was really amazing. Um, the relationship between Bruce and, and Selena is uh, slowly changing into more of what we're kind of used to from the comic books where there's definitely uh Somewhat of an antagonistic role, but also... But also, uh, they love each other, like, regardless. Yep. And um, I, I think this kid is, is doing a really good job as as grasping the character of Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um, and in a, in a moment of what has probably been one of the most brilliant casting choices that Fox Television has ever made um, is the introduction of B.D. Wong as uh, Dr. Hugo Strange. Yeah. Who's running uh, Arkham. 
So Matt and I were talking about this too because um, I, I was I was telling him you know like BD Wong has played basically the same character since forever in like Law and Order SVU or something like that. But and I so, love his character in that. Yeah, it, he's good, but it's just kind of like it just it's it's the one character, uh, and so you always wonder about actors like that if they can actually do anything else. And so it turns out he can. He can. He's really good as Hugo Strange. And then for you, Mister Robot fans, which. Sadly, we're not talking about on the show because Matt hasn't watched any of it yet, and I really cannot spoil a single minute of that for him. Uh, he's fantastic in Mr. Robot. So I need to know one thing from you about Mr. Robot. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people that um, will just say that I kind of respect their opinions on stuff, um, talk about Mr. Robot and how the first season was absolutely fucking aces, but then the second season kind of falls off a little bit. I think that's fair. Okay. Um, but I still think doesn't mean that, I'm not going to watch it. I just I still think kind of want to know what I'm getting into. Even though the second season does, I think fall off a little bit, um, and it, it's not a gigantic fall. I'd still say it's some of the best television like going today. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm probably going to check it out because I have a week before, um, or several days before Luke Cage, and and a week before the Flash and everything else comes back. You know, so at the very least, the reason you should watch Mr. Robot is because as an uh, as a as a fellow like nerd who sits at home and watches scenes and th- where they're like, it's a Unix system. I know this. Or like, let's let's write a, uh, a GUI and Visual speaking Basic. Of, speaking yeah. of Jurassic Park. Yeah. Let's write a visual uh, GUI and Visual Basic to track their IP or something like that. Y- you'll you'll actually appreciate Mr. Robot, I think, for some of the things that they do technically very, very well. Like yeah. there's parts of their like, you know how anytime they show a computer screen on the tv ever it's never any sort of operating system you can ever recognize and it has like it's just basically one giant window that says like hack the dod you know click 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 and then they've hacked the entire department of defense yeah um mr robot's not like that at all like as i was watching i was like they're what the fuck they're using python scripts that's yeah. awesome oh he's he's writing he's writing that exploit did, in, did he with just type Ruby? sudo to get into the command yeah. menu he, he's he's using kali linux you know like it shows that they actually has some have some respect for the thing and you know it's not perfect like it's not actually like um a, a thing but they do do like all of the hacks that they show in mr robot are plausible um, all of the the technology that they show in Mr. Robot, generally speaking, are plausible, and in a lot of cases, are hacks in the way that hacking is done in real life. Like one of the things that I really enjoyed is that uh, social engineering, you know, like phishing that, emails and stuff like that, is a big part of hacking these days. That actually takes kind of a page out of MacGyver because I don't know if you know this, but every like the original MacGyver TV series, mm-hmm. every MacGyverism that he ever did. Uh, is actually 100% possible and accurate. It's just they... Oh, really? Yeah, they intentionally left out one or two steps in the show because they obviously didn't want to teach you how to build a bomb out of bubble gum and paper clips. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's actually valid science behind every single one of his, his tricks that he used yeah. throughout the course of the show. But and I, mean, I get the impression that this is kind of the same thing. At the very least... Um, They're never going to actually show you how to run a, a computer hack through CLI on TV. Well, I mean, and and the fact is, it would be very fucking boring TV. Like everybody shows hacking as being like this dramatic thing, and I picture you know like the nineteen ninety five movie Hackers uh, when they're talking about hacking, and that's not what it is like. You can't at all. hack a Gibson. Yeah, it is. It is super. Like if you were watching somebody, it would it would look like they were you know like inputting numbers into an Excel spreadsheet. Like it's that level of boring. And it takes to hours. See. It's not like you can just type a, a, a quick script and let it run and go. Yeah, I mean, Half- unless who you're hacking is running like 
Windows 3.1. Yeah, half of hacking is simply knowing that there is, you know, like, first off, knowing what you're going to try to break into, knowing what exploits exist for that, and then preparing really well for it. So that basically just means reading a whole fucking lot of manuals. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, writing a whole lot of scripts and then changing them a little bit to see if it breaks the thing and then changing them a little bit more. Anyway, boring to watch on TV, but I appreciated Mr. Robot because they managed to, to find a middle ground, which was, uh, that they used some real world techniques and, um, tied it in with actual computers and, and stuff like that. And yet still managed to make it entertaining. So yeah, anyway, that's a digression because we're talking about Gotham right now. Um, yeah, we haven't got to the meat and potatoes even. Um, no. Hugo Strange is doing some weird, weird shit, but one of the things that he's really, really working on is reanimating the dead. Yeah. Um, which he does successfully um, with uh, uh, Galavan. Spoilers, because Galavan dies uh, by the hand of Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Penguin helped. Yeah. But... Uh, that one, that one was that actually whole storyline is actually pretty cool because like Jim Gordon kind of goes rogue for a while and is like, uh, that the actually, justice system isn't isn't going to take care of this Galavan problem because he's fucked up and he's going to keep coming. Um, and it already had proven ineffectual against him in the first place, and so he kind of really just goes off the script and and allies himself with a penguin temporarily to get rid of Galavan. That part actually was a little questionable for me because um, I didn't think that they should have Jim Gordon actually pull the trigger. Um, I thought that Jim Gordon is almost more unimpeachable than Batman. You um, you get that impression, but you also kind of understand by reading Batman comic books that Jim Gordon has a past that he's not necessarily proud of. Yeah. Um, it's it's easy for me to understand where you're getting that though because the Jim Gordon from the Batman Begins Chris Nolan universe is that guy. Oh, I think more than just that. Like the animated series, obviously. Um, yeah. Of course, there was no killing in that in any way. But right. in most of the newer the stuff, Jim Gordon is um, Jim Gordon because he's sort of like this unimpeachable. Like when when him and Barnes are talking, like I almost feel like. I get why they're saying that because obviously Jim Gordon befriends Batman and it, it helps, you know, Batman and the GCPD and all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, but I, I kind of felt like when it, Barnes is giving him that speech, it should almost be the other way around. Like Jim Gordon was almost the one that needs to be like, you know, we're the law and we're going to do things the right way. Um, a la, uh, gosh, what's the other, uh, I think year one. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy's, Jimmy's kind of the, the straight man in that. And, uh, it's, um, you know, Batman's doing things off the books, so to speak, and that's the first time that Jim Jim is sort of like questioning. I I feel like in Gotham, though, that Jim Gordon's journey to being Commissioner Gordon, yeah, kind of parallels Bruce's journey into finding his identity as Batman. Um, in that he's making mistakes along the way and and gets that and kind of pays the ultimate price when it comes to his relationship with um, Lee with Lee, um who again played brilliantly by uh Miranda Baccarin um of you know Firefly Flame or uh, Fame or uh that works or yeah <laughs> or Deadpool if yeah. uh if you're more inclined uh, to her more recent work but uh yeah I I actually really kind of was into that storyline um because uh kind of at the end of the day at the end of the season like he's not a cop anymore mm-hmm. um based largely in, on that particular action and the subsequent IA investigation, which gets closed and then reopened later on based on a, an anonymous tip, um, who we find out later was 
Nigma yeah. uh, doing the tipping because he he thought Gordon was investigating um, his involvement in in uh, Kringle's disappearance, which honestly that was just brought up by Lee because she's like, hey, this chick hasn't cashed her paychecks, but we can't find her. So yeah, um, there are a few things about this actually. Since we're talking about since you brought up Nigma. Um, that's one of the things that bothers me a little bit about Nigma's character progression. He goes from like this meek sort of uh, pushover character, and then very quickly, I think, turns into this like, you know, by the end of season two, he's ultra confident and he can manipulate everybody, anybody, and everybody, and so on and so forth. Um, and that that part was, I think, a little bit uh, fast. And there was another. Uh, gosh, who else? I would I, I would say this about thing. that though. When you are the kind of person who has never had success um, in personal relationships or or whatever the case may be, if you end up in a situation where you're able to um, control your situation or manipulate a situation once, powerful, you, you kind of would develop a false sense of uh, security um, because you you were like, hey, I tried this and it worked, so. Mm-hmm. Why not do it again? And that kind of is Nigma's downfall in this season. So it's not necessarily um, unfounded uh, or unrealistic to think that that he could pull this off. Um, and honestly, um, things that happen in one episode really don't take effect until the next episode or even two episodes later when it comes to Nigma's um, manipulation of the Jim Gordon situation, um, which I think is really good writing. It plays itself out kind of over over a few episodes uh i i really dug this this season and um we're kind of going to get down to the nitty-gritty here in a few minutes because uh it turns out that hugo strange had a very specific reason for trying to or at least in my eyes we haven't actually gotten to from point a to point b yet on this but um the reanimation of of corpses and whatnot Mm -hmm. Uh, we get fish mooney back in this uh season as well which I have mixed feelings about because I didn't really like her character much in season one, but by the end of season one, um, she kind of had a place, but I think that's more because of Jada Pinkett's choices. (laughs) When she died, I was kind of like, thank you. Um, so that they're bringing him back to me is a little bit questionable. I'm not sure. And now she has superpowers too. So that's kind of, yeah, that's an interesting choice too, because I think fish Mooney is one of the few that are like, just purely a Gotham creation. I I did like Fish Mooney's uh, kind of uh, reintroduction, though, because uh, Hugo Strange had not been able to bring back anybody from the dead and who still retained their sense of individuality and and who they were uh, until Fish Mooney. And he asked her who she was. She didn't answer. And he kind of started doing what he'd done with all the other candidates, which was uh, basically programming them by telling them, this is who you are. This yeah, is what feeding your them a story. skill set is and whatnot. Um, and she just goes, no, I'm fish Mooney, bitch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I, I mean, that part was okay, but it, when it's still, when it comes down to it, I just don't like that character at all. They should have just left her dead. You know, I think she'll serve a purpose, and I actually, um, you haven't seen episode one of season three yet, but she, her character helps Jim kind of develop his character a little bit more um, in terms of what he's doing now, which I won't necessarily okay. get into because, well, I'll look, I'll look for it when I watch it. Yeah. Um. Uh. But let's let's talk about 
the real meat and potatoes of of the season though and i texted eddie the other day and i said ambitious isn't the right word for what they're doing right now Mm -hmm. um and he didn't know what i meant until today when he actually um got to i think episode 21 yeah uh but they're balls deep into the court of owls they really are. Um, I don't know how much of a, a, you know, presumably they're not just going to let this thread dangle for the next, you know, four seasons or something like that. And I think the Court of Owls is probably going to be a big part of uh, season three. But that's curious to me because the Court of Owls, um, I don't know, much like any of these villains, like they've got to figure out a way to do this that still leaves it open. Like it's hard. I think this is one of the unique challenges with Gotham that um, they're introducing all of these characters Um that can't ever really go down. So like, for example, when you introduce Mr. Freeze, um, you cannot meaningfully actually defeat him. You know that anytime he's actually gone down, there's a very big chance he's going to get back up again because he's got to go face Batman someday. And we're still years and years away from that. And you have to be really careful with how you treat his character because he is not a bad guy to the letter of bad guy. Yeah. Um, and it's like that with, you know, pretty much all of these characters, all of these characters that we're introducing with Clayface and uh, Hugo Strange and all of these people are Batman villains. They like they have to go on and be Batman villains. So that means that anytime you see a character fall in Gotham, anytime you see, you know, our hero, you know, which in this case is Jim Gordon, um, anytime you see him win, you know, it's a hollow victory. Because he the the villain's got to come back later uh, to help you know be a foil for Batman. So uh, that's this- actually kind of where I hope the Fish Mooney character is going. Because when she died the first time, it wasn't it wasn't at the hands of Jim Gordon. He didn't beat her. No, uh, that was a Penguin uh, move. And Fish Mooney is really the only character from the beginning of the show that you can kill. Yeah, because she doesn't exist in the comic books. She's got no place in history when it comes to Batman. So you can do whatever you want with her character, and it doesn't matter in the in the grand scheme of things whereas like to your point the rest of this rose gallery has a very specific tie to batman and if you want to develop a show that is about batman becoming batman like they have to still be around when he's batman yeah and like best case scenario like we could not possibly get a batman before you know uh, season eight or something like that right and that's only assuming that the kid playing bruce which this is a big big fucking assumption could actually go on and be batman like i'm having a hard time picturing this kid turning into batman i'm having less of a hard time with it now yeah, because um, one of the things I was telling Eddie about earlier is I, I'm liking the progression of this kid picking up different things, um, and you know we talked about this just a little bit ago with him, uh, you know, beating the shit out of the of the mushroom guy, <laughs> the the mushroom peddler. Um, no, that happened. In, you know, it doesn't really. What yeah. I mean more though is like the soonest we could possibly get this to happen is if we go five years into the future. Okay. There's, there's really two possibilities. I don't think we're ever going to see him be Batman though. Unless, unless the final episode is a time jump or something, a time jump into the, into the, you know, not too distant future or whatever. We're not going to see this kid become Batman. Like, I don't think we're going to see this particular actor become Batman. Um, I think if, if that ever happened, it would be through some sort of time jumpy shenanigans. Or if we do, uh, you know, like, I think it's going to kind of be like Smallville, except for even with this, with the show, I'm not sure that he's ever going to put on the cape. Yeah. And 
and so that that's what makes the Court of Owls thing even more ambitious too because in the comic books nobody knew about the Court of Owls until 2011 and Batman's been around since what the 40s yeah so that was a pretty deep pull I mean um they they did Court Court of Owls is actually probably one of the new 52 storylines that really stands out as being among the the great Batman storylines and it's going to be a hard sell I think to bring this that you know the idea is simple enough and but it it's just how does the court of alice continue to exist for the next you know 15 years and we as an audience or something or like that are going to be accepting of that yeah and here's the thing you're going to figure this out when you, as soon as you watch uh the first episode of the season um as far as this is one of the reasons why we know that gotham is not truly canon to the batman character because of how they handle some of these things um, the Court of Owls specifically. Um, but would, it doesn't mean I'm not a fan. Um, no, it's good. I actually do like where the show is going a lot more than I did a year ago at this point. I'm really curious, uh, like, how what what is the end game here? That's what I'm really curious. I think there is one. And that's kind of the thing. I think this was kind of a... Uh, Fox was like, let's see what we can do to try and monetize Batman without actually using Batman because we yeah. can't. Uh, I'm just I'm just curious like I don't think they have an end game I'm just curious like what what could the potential end games be and that seems like it's going to be a really hard problem to solve yeah because like for our heroes in the show like it seems like well everything basically sucks so does Jim Gordon keep doing what he's doing as like a freelancer or a detective or anything like up until the point where we're like in the finale he takes up the mantle of commissioner like is that say, the end game he's definitely the commissioner by the end of the show he has to be, right? Yeah, I, I cannot see a way in which he's not the commissioner by the end of the show. Yeah. I just, I can't see a way where he's the commissioner at the end of the show, and based on how the show is set up right now, that it's any sort of success. Like, yeah. anyway. There there are two episodes in season two that really stand out to me. Um, One of them more for comedic reasons than anything else, but uh, episode 18, I feel like it should have been titled Barbara Gets a Groove Back. <laughs> that was a good one, yeah. Um, and then the, uh, and I, I'm not even sure it might even be the same episode. I don't know because there's you know some of the stories get intertwined. Yeah, but uh, um, the matches Malone episode. Oh, uh, it's not the same episode. That happens. I want to say three or four earlier than that. Yeah, and I don't remember the name of the episode actually, but I don't. That was a good one too, though. Um, so this is Bruce confronting Matches Malone. Matches Malone is actually the trigger man in, in his parents' Presumably. Murder. Presumably, anyway. Um, and they did a really good job um, not necessarily denying or acknowledging that yeah. in any way, shape, or form. So That, that whole thing, I think, was really interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, we get any final thoughts on Gotham? Uh, just some casting stuff. Um, James Frayne. As Galavan uh, slash Azrael. Mm-hmm. Not sure I would have gone that direction. I thought it was interesting. First off, I should have kind of seen this coming when he started talking about St. Dumas, uh, that that they were setting up Azrael. Uh, but I probably, even still, even if I knew that was the case, I would not have guessed that that was how they were going to get to Azrael. I saw Azrael coming, did not know it was going to be him. Yeah. I was kind of expecting uh, the Jean-Paul Valley character to show up at some point. Yeah. I'm still not entirely sure that this is going to be the only Azrael. It doesn't have to be by no. any means. Like it, since it, he was just programmed by Hugo Strange. 
Yeah, and, and sort of organically got to that idea. It seems possible that there is an actual, for real deal, Azrael uh, who follows you know the more traditional storyline. Yeah, um, Michael Chiklis is the current commissioner. Um, I think there's one thing that Chiklis knows how to do, and that's play a, co- a police commissioner. <laughs> Just gonna say, uh, yeah, the commission is the commission. That's funny. I, yeah. I like his character in this, though. I think he does a really good job. I don't. It's like okay. how quickly his relationship with uh, Gordon uh, deteriorates because at the beginning of season two, when he first took over as commissioner and whatnot, Gordon was kind of the only guy in the entire department that he really trusted. Yeah, that's it. Actually, kind of pisses me off because when they start this season, uh, Gordon. The only reason he trusts him is because Gordon is the only one that's not crooked as fuck. Right. Uh, and now we're to the end of the season. And it's like Gordon, you're a loose cannon, and that's where I don't like it because it gets very cliche. Like Gordon, you're a loose cannon, and we can't have you doing that. You're gonna take a leave or whatever. Uh, oh, come on, come on, Sarge, I can't do that. You know, like it's very yeah. lethal weapony uh, yeah. sort of uh, bullshitty, and I don't, I don't like that so much. But yeah, he he, I don't know. His character's okay. It's just that 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 element of writing to me kind of just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm liking uh, Donald Logue more as Bullock. I've always liked Donald Logue as Bullock. He, that to me has been one of the choices that uh, like I've always been happy with. So yeah, um, yeah. Just just lots of really good casting in this. The guy that they got for Victor Freeze was was really good. He's pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, Still really liking the chick uh, playing Selena Kyle. I think she still has that Pfeiffer-esque uh, yeah. look to her, and I think it served her really well Yeah. Uh, for this. Actually, um, also the the little girl, not little, she's, I guess, 17 or whatever, but um, the one that they got to play Silver, St. Cloud. Okay, yeah. Um, that kid's got some acting chops, like way better than I anticipated mm-hmm. when I first saw her character. Um, and then... Uh, Just the um, uh, the penguin. I mean, that kid, Jesus Christ. You know, what's funny is uh, I think we first saw him probably in The Walking Dead. We did. Yeah, and he was such a like throwaway character in that. Not even first. I, I actually think that uh, Gotham premiered kind of around the same week as that episode of, of The Walking Dead and whatnot. And yeah. so it's, it's it, just it, really, really... Um, Obviously, The Walking Dead is one of the shows that I follow regularly, regularly, though. Yeah. So, um, it's just funny because he went from such a, like a bit part to like now he's like, I think, established. He he is, I think, one of the shining parts of Gotham. Like, he's, I think, one of the better actors on Gotham. Yeah. And, and one of the parts that it's like the most interesting way to reinvent a character. Uh, so, he's got to play that. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then um obviously there's the the tease at the very very end of the final episode when the um uh test subjects get released off the bus. Yeah. Um and that is we get to see uh Bruce Wayne. Yeah. But with long hair. We assume and this is just from comic book readers like that he is actually Bruce's brother that he didn't know he had. Mhm. Um the thing is is that the brother was was he younger? Or older, I don't remember. I don't recall, but the, it wasn't in the comics. A, but it wasn't it was a very straight specifically up twin. tied with the Court of Owls. Yeah, um, because he ends up becoming one of the court's uh, talons. Yeah, um, and the talons, I believe, is where the uh, um, reanimation stuff that Hugo Strange was was working on is is actually headed. I think so for sure. Uh, so that'll be an interesting story to pick up on because uh, uh, Longhair Bruce doesn't actually know who Bruce Wayne is. He actually. Um, 
this is a little bit of a spoiler, but he sees um, Bruce talking to Selena in episode one of season three mm-hmm. um, and then confronts Ivy about it because he was like, who is that kid? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Why does he look just like me? And Ivy was like, what the fuck are you talking about, little rich boy? Like, because she doesn't uh, recognize that he's different, even though he's got really long, scraggly hair. Yeah. So Ivy's a little nutty. Uh, she is, um, and I think her character is going to develop a little bit more this season too. But I won't go further into that until you watch the episode. All right, all right. So that's Gotham for this week. Uh, we'll probably actually, I think, follow this a little bit more regularly with this next season. Um, I think yeah, there's both... another episode on tonight. I'll probably check it out tomorrow. Yeah, because and uh, and uh, I would have watched uh, the first se- the first one this today, but uh, ran out of time. So yeah. Uh, all right, so last up on the show, well, actually not quite last up, we're going to talk about Ghostbusters. Um, the 2016 reboot. Yeah, obviously, we're not talking about a movie from 1984, just in case you were wondering. We uh, could. We could. It's a solid fucking movie. <laughs> um, but no, we're going to talk about the reboot because um, the reboot uh, just recently came out and um, <clears throat> we got a chance to watch it. And uh, it, kind of interestingly enough, I think we both said the same thing. In fact, everybody I've talked to so far that's seen it um, has been has said the same thing. Well that's not as bad as I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I will say that I wouldn't necessarily consider it bad. I'd give this movie a solid six out of 10. So here's the thing. When this movie came out, I still wasn't sure whether it was a reboot or whether it was a, um, more of an indirect continuation of the original story. Um, so you have to actually watch it before you figure that out. Um, only you, uh, dear listener, don't have to watch it to figure this out. Yeah. Cause we're going to spoil the shit out of it. Yep. Spoilers coming. Soon. Um, the reason why it was hard to tell whether or not it was kind of an indirect sequel or even a direct sequel was because all of the the original cast, uh, minus Rick Moranis, actually came back for this movie. Yeah, and um, our, our uh, late Harold and, Ramis. And Harold Ramis, although he did get a touching tribute too, because there's a uh, a, yep. a very noticeable bust of him outside of a of a college office. Yeah, uh, which I thought was sweet. Um, but it is definitely a reboot. Um, all of the characters that we see in this movie that um, or are actors that we saw in, in previous uh, incarnations of Ghostbusters play completely different characters. Minus Dan Aykroyd. I get the feeling that Dan Aykroyd might actually... He, like, he's the only one that knows what's going on. Yeah. He, so the interesting thing is, is that this movie is a reboot. And when he says everybody plays different characters, it's more like everybody plays different characters by name. It's like they distilled the characters down to their basic archetypes yeah. and then decided to give them different names. So, like, I actually thought that this is a little bit of a missed opportunity. If they're going to go that hard in it on it, they, you know, like they could have stuck with, uh, um, you know, like they could have named the character Venkman, for example, uh, because the character who plays the Venkman analog is very obviously a Venkman analog. So is everybody else. All four I, of the characters are basically I like obvious analogs to their other. Really interesting that uh, Bill Murray, who was the hardest one to get to sign to do anything Ghostbusters related, had the largest had cameo. the most screen time of any of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah i thought that was kind of funny too um and you know for the most part i I wanted all of the cameos to be bigger deals than they were all the cameos were just kind of like like they were gimmies they were gimmies yeah and they were basically like as as much as i wanted to invest in this movie like it just didn't have me care enough about any of them to be like oh my gosh that's that guy you know like yeah i got i got bigger boners over like subtle references in the force awakens uh cameo was pretty meaty uh, it, i mean it wasn't long but god damn it i loved the dialogue i loved his dialogue in that probably more than any of the other cameos see his was one of the few like i actually pegged murray like 
all the other characters the, the only two cameos that i didn't have pegged from almost like the first scene of the movie but like as soon as they introduced what's his face as the you know whatever i was like well that's probably bill murray but that might be dan Aykroyd. um so like i kind of had that idea pegged that's yeah. going to be a cameo um the cabbie thing though like i never could have figured out that that was going to be a cameo but the uncle as soon as the the one black person in the movie mentioned yeah. that they had an uncle that didn't You're like get well seen that's on obviously winston yeah i was like yeah there you go i yeah. guess we're gonna see him at some point in the movie um so that wasn't until the very end but yeah yeah um I was actually the Annie Potts cameo. Actually, I I didn't see. Oh, coming. that's true too. Yeah. And that was pretty amazing as the as the hotel clerk. Yeah, I just I thought that there were a lot more things like that that they managed to not really do a whole lot with those cameos was a little bit disappointing because right. they could have. So let's talk about the bad. Yeah. Um, so I have not seen Bridesmaids, um, nor have I seen uh, much else of her catalog. Um, but Kristen Wiig, I'd heard nothing but good things about. Uh, going into this movie, but her character meant the least out of any characters in this movie. See, I like Kristen Wiig, but uh, yeah, I was watching this and I was like, well, Kristen Wiig plays Kristen Wiig just like always, you know, like uh, it, she, she, I don't know. Uh, she wasn't even really funny. She, she you know was what I mean? Moderately funny in some scenes, but like it wasn't particularly standout to me. Um, but you know that's that's I guess my my generic criticism of this movie it, it just in general was there's not a whole lot like that stands out to me except for ironically fucking Thor <laughs> Chris Hemsworth Chris Hemsworth I think was the standout in this movie that those the scenes that I remember from this movie as being like you know just hilarious yeah. are are like by and large his, well, his scenes you know what you're getting with Melissa McCarthy yeah that that's the other thing like, you know like she's a one trick pony as far as that's concerned and here's the thing i'm not talking shit i'm not an actor so whatever but well like you, i was saying earlier like she's the ben she's like ben you, stiller for you me. cast like, it's her the same. for a specific reason and yeah. that is what you got in this movie um the standouts to me were again like you said hemsworth because have you seen the the uh vacation movie the the newest one Mm-mm. he's in it Oh, actually, a lot of him is in it. Probably more than you're bargaining for, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, but he essentially kind of plays that character, yeah. um, or at least a variation of that character. So I knew what he was capable of going into it. So, say I didn't. The only really was funny not th- disappointed. I haven't really seen him in anything comedic except for that tiny the little Thor short, short. We watched. In, in the, so, like when when I heard he was in this movie, I was like, okay, that could be funny. But I also kind of thought that he was like going to be vastly under, you know, like I thought he was, he was, you know, slumming basically. He was going to end up with a tiny, tiny little role and it ended up being quite a bit more than I expected, but it also really in a lot of cases stole the show for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Leslie Lewis was another standout for me. Yeah. She was funny. Um, I wasn't familiar with her very much at all, but she's from SNL too, I believe. And, and reading the stereo reading the the um some of the reviews i'd heard of the movie um a lot of people were like you know she's just going to be one gigantic black stereotype and i didn't feel like that was the case i mean they did do that a a, little she was definitely the token black character but i don't think she was a stereotype yeah they did that a little bit with with her but not nearly to the degree i expected no her like i i i I was um basically expecting a medea character by the time I got to the actual movie, and that's of course not at all what it was. So yeah. uh, I was pleased with her, and she had a lot of funny shit in the movie too. Yeah, so. but I mean, honestly, the the star of the show to me was uh, Kate McKinnon. Yeah, and sure. I'm not familiar with her at all because I haven't watched SNL recently. But I guess she's an Emmy winner. 
Yeah. Uh, I also SNL and whatnot, but like she was really good. Like the the way that she played that character, which is kind of the eccentric scientist type, um similar to she's Egon. She's Bankman, but just not Egon, I would say. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Egon. But, yep, not Bankman. But not, that's just always the name I think but of. But she didn't play it as Egon, and that's what I liked about it. Like she was definitely the eccentric, but she was fucking nuts like just and i thought it was i I thought she was great uh definitely showed me something that i didn't think i was going to see in that movie um i i definitely so here's the thing if you're a fan of ghostbusters and you're afraid that this movie is going to ruin the franchise it's not you can still be a fan of the old ones and watch this movie and get some enjoyment out of it and understand I, i mean it's a reboot it's not going to be. Uh, uh, it's not going to remake history or uh, reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Like it's just, it is what it is. But it's not a bad movie. I think you can watch it, and I think you can enjoy it. I have daughters, and um, just from a uh, character standpoint, like I think it's amazing that they they put together a movie um, with four chicks as the main characters and actually did a pretty decent job of doing it even with the um Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig uh, criticisms aside um like my my daughter my oldest daughter is is going to watch this movie and she's totally going to gravitate toward the the Kate McKinnon character and deservedly so yeah cuz i think i think a, a girl can aspire to be funny like that you know what i mean like i'm not looking at this going yeah my girl's gonna watch this and be a scientist and catch ghosts i'm looking at this as like my kids can watch this and realize that a a a chick can carry a movie and do it well see that that was the thing that i thought too like um the the you know this movie i think received a lot of criticism um for some solid reasons and it's not a fantastic movie and you know really i I still vastly prefer the original um which you know it would have been hard to come out of this movie and not still feel that way like i have a lot more familiarity and, and a lot more you know like emotional tie to the original movie but um this movie wasn't bad and i felt the same way watching it like uh a woman cast work like that was not at all the issue. Like any of the issues I had with the movie really didn't have much to do with the fact that it was a woman cast. Um, it was the women that they cast in some cases that, that worked to his detriment. I mean, and it wasn't even, even necessarily badly. that because they're all talented people. Like um, I really don't really enjoy Melissa McCarthy at all, but she's uh, a little Rosie O'Donnell for me. They're, they're all talented That's... people like they could I think it just but there's a lot of like some of the story issues were kind of wonky and there's some pacing issues in the movie um, and, and and you know a few other things that's just kind of like where did you how did you get from there to there you know sort yeah. of things um, but I really enjoyed the fact that like that that was a woman a woman cast and it uh, didn't matter like yeah. that's what I like like we've talked about this on the show before but one of the things that I think is successful like successful feminine feminism to me is when you do something like that when you gender flip a role and it does not matter at all well and that's what this movie did like this movie was not a uh, a, a feminist knee-jerk reaction it just so happens that the main characters are girls 
Yeah. I mean, maybe they went in, maybe they're like, yeah, this, this will be an interesting hook. We'll recast it as women, but they didn't take that and like, okay, now let's make a movie about women. It was just like, if, if you flip the genders back the other way, like it, it like gender didn't really matter well, when it came down to, I it. love that the dumb blonde role was played by a dude and played by Chris Hemsworth. Like when, uh, uh, and again, spoilers, but when Bill Murray's character goes out the window yeah, and he's like, hey, hey that guy went out the wrong door. Yeah, that <laughs> like, was really funny. OK, so this actually was probably as far as like sex- sexism goes. This is the only thing that I think you, I could take a little issue with, because if you're gender bending the roles from the original the originals, I could see how you get to the women. But uh, Annie Potts is no Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> like Annie Potts's character was was smart. Yeah, like she wasn't. She was. She smart. wasn't the dumb blonde character. Like, that that was the only character that I thought was fantastic. Like not only different from a physical standpoint, because don't get me wrong, Annie Annie Potts is is a pretty lady, but I mean, like Chris Hemsworth. Nobody's as pretty as Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and secondarily, like if they were recasting that character, okay, so they're going to make her prettier, but they just didn't get any. Like it's like they had to. They had to have the bumbling man around. Like it, it, they couldn't have a smart man next to all of these four women. Um, they had to have the bum. Like it was almost the opposite in the original movie. Like Annie Potts was the one who kind of knew what was going on. Janine, Janine knew what was going on, and you know was kind of like the smart one in the thing. You know um, what's what's interesting to me is when you when you talk about the gender bending and whatnot, like. Um, I guess none of the original Ghostbusters were particularly handsome, so to speak. I mean, you got Bill Murray and Dan yeah. Aykroyd and, and uh, Harold Ramis. And then, um, I mean, I guess probably Winston. I mean, if you're looking at... He's at, the most probably traditional handsome. Yeah. Handsome, yeah. Um, and and the same is true for the, the female cast. I mean, like, none of the women in there are, like... I'm not going to say none of them are, like, ugly. No. Per se. Um, but I mean, when you think about women comedic actors, do you know who could have replaced Melissa McCarthy and probably pulled off the comedic role Hmm. really well? Uh, Kaylee Cuoco from, uh, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I've never watched the show. Well, actually I did watch a couple of episodes. I mean, she's gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. Like she's, she's super hot and whatnot, but like just as in terms of a girl and, and understanding comedic delivery and timing and whatnot, like I think she could have done it and, not been the kind of person that we're sitting there saying, Oh yeah, this person can only play this one character. Yeah. See like, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting thing too. Like this is another thing that I like as a progression in Hollywood. Like you don't only have to cast beautiful people. So I thought it was an interesting choice that they could have cast lots of other dudes in the role that they cast Hemsworth in. And don't get me wrong. He was like I said, he stole the show for most of the movie, but I thought that was the only ironic sort of like as much as this movie's, uh, you know, makers and stuff like that were creating, complaining about the criticism of like you only don't like this movie because we're putting girls in roles it's like but the only sexist thing i really saw in this movie was you how you cast that one character yeah uh, and how you decided to portray that one character and ironically it's the one thing that was sexist against guys and i looked really hard like there there was not much else but um and you know don't and and you know look like even comparing it back to the original movie was the original movie sexist in any any way about the Janine character and I thought no not really so that they decided to go that direction with it was sort of ironic to me given all of the shit that they were flinging at the audience for not loving this movie because you know obviously if you didn't love this movie you were sexist and it didn't have anything to do with the fact that the the movie's merits actually matter as well if you look at the uh, the original Ghostbusters and I, I forget what that scale is the the feminism scale or whatever it is but the like, Bechdel test yeah 
when the you can have two character? women on the st- screen talking about something that isn't another man. You know, the Janine. Well, there wasn't. I guess the Bechdel test. I don't think is like. A I don't lot think. People... I don't necessarily know that Ghostbusters would pass because the original. Because I don't think Janine and uh, Sigourney Weaver's character ever really talked until Ghostbusters two. But like the Janine character in the the original Ghostbusters, like wasn't man centric at all. Like she was yeah. just the well snotty receptionist, and but not driven by any kind of feelings one way or another about dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the Bechtel test is is you know a good cursory glance, you know, uh, but it doesn't necessarily. It's not the be all and end all when it comes to feminism in movies no. or anything like that. And I think a lot of people take that way way too seriously because Ghostbusters is a good example of a movie that I didn't put, find. I I still would not call it anywhere near anything like anti feminist or even misogynistic or anything like that. No, and um, and the reboot is not a uh, quote unquote feminist agenda movie either. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of people really took that reaction when they was when they were like, "Oh, they cast all girls." That's just you know, blah blah blah. Here's the thing: those same guys probably fucking masturbate to Terminator Two, though. And that movie is the ultimate feminist movie because Sarah Connor is the absolute hero of that movie, and the guys in that movie don't change the end result of that movie at all. Yeah, but she, it doesn't <laughs> pass. It doesn't pass the Bechdel test. At least I don't think it does, but whatever. It probably wouldn't. Well, no. I mean, it I mean, can't because there's never... Well, the only time there's two women on the screen Sarah together... Sarah Connor talks to a guard or something. No, they, um, Dyson's wife. Yeah, okay. That's the only conversation between two women I think there are in that movie, but uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... like Well, and even then, they don't talk about dudes. Like, they're not... Uh, yeah. She talks about her son, like, trying to protect her son, I think, but... Um, it's all about stopping Skynet and whatnot, but like John Connor plays no role in that movie whatsoever. He's no. just there. Just he he has to not die. <laughs> like his whole goal is not die, which I think is Edward Furlong's entire goal in life these days is just to not <laughs> die. <laughs> so keep collecting those residuals. Yeah. All um, right. But uh, uh, here's the thing. Bottom line: if you were a fan of the original Ghostbusters movie, this movie is not going to change that. Just watch it. It's not going to ruin anything for you because it's pretty entertaining in some spots and. Um, only disappointed in a couple. It does go off the rails kind of toward the end, uh, but it's excusable. Yeah, so my end result, my end summary for this would be like, I'm not disappointed that I didn't go see it in the theater, and I think this is a perfect movie to watch on. I think this is a perfect movie that like, if you picked up at a red box and watched at home, you'd probably be fairly pleasantly surprised. Watch it with your kids and your family. Yeah, yeah basically. It's a good family movie, and it's it's far better of a family movie you know, than a lot of the direct that I'm forced to sit through. So, And, and your kids are probably going to want to watch it repeatedly, and that's cool because there's a lot worse things they could watch. Yeah. So, um, and, and you know, I guess in some ways, I think it does advance the cause of feminism in a, in a relatively positive way. I just wish that you know the one you know there there wasn't. I, I keep waiting for the perfect thing to come along that I can be like, yes, that is the gold standard for which you can hold up and say that's that's amazing. Uh, and you know, this isn't it. So. Yeah. Whatever. All right. Uh, let's, let's open the mailbag. Yeah, the mailbag. So we got some feedback asking us to talk about Highlander. Yeah. Um, so so Rob uh, from Grants Pass, Oregon says, watching Highlander, if ever a franchise needed a reboot, this one would be a killer. Yeah. Um, You're not wrong, Rob. You're yeah. not wrong. Um, so there's actually been talks about a Highlander reboot for years now. Um, in fact, originally, uh, the, the plan was to have Ryan Reynolds actually um, essay the role of the Highlander which I think is probably not good casting. 
I don't think so either. Especially not now that we have Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool and and in terms of uh, nerd culture movie icons, like that's really kind of probably what he needs to be. I think he's too pretty. And I think that if they're going to do a reboot of Highlander, it's going to be a little bit grittier. I I have heard um, that they still are um, looking toward uh, Dave Bautista, uh, who played Drax in Guardians as the Kurgan, which I think would be excellent casting. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then, uh, Rob also mentioned that he, he had checked things, checked into things and, uh, it looked like, uh, maybe Tom Hardy was who they were trying to, uh, nail down as, as the Highlander, which I don't think would be bad casting at all. Um, I think you're missing an opportunity though, if you don't at least consider Michael Fassbender, mm. who's actually Scottish. That I think, yes, I agree. <laughs> Um, so Hardy of, of those choices, Hardy would probably be my favorite of them. And, you know, I think, well, actually, no, I mean, it's in the title. Why do they call him Highlander? Because he's from the Highlands of Scotland. Uh, so yeah, I was going to say, you don't necessarily have to catch somebody Scottish, uh, but no, they really should. So yeah, Fastbender, actually, if I had to pick amongst those, I'd, I'd say Fastbender would be the way to go, the way to go there. Um, and the thing about it is, is he's not blind as a bat. Which Christopher Lambert is, and um, reportedly, I guess, has almost killed people on the set of Highlander because he refused to wear contacts. <laughs> Are you kidding? That's awesome. Yeah. See, you can't see. Maybe he was just really like, uh, he was doing that method acting thing. He's he like, wears glasses when he's not acting. And yeah. Instead of getting contacts or anything, he just chose to not wear his glasses for a lot of those scenes, and somebody almost lost a thumb at some point. Yeah, that's amazing. So. He was just like, No. I must be, I, I have to be the only one, you know, like he's, he's playing his role. As yeah. Well he as really he does want to be the only one. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I think this is kind of a long time coming. Um, I don't know for me though, the movies started my, my passion for the Highlander series, but really, um, the Highlander series on TV, um, with, uh, Adrian Paul, I thought was really well done as compared to the movies because the series at least told a, a, a cohesive, uh, story as time went by whereas the movies were kind of all over the place like we had the original Highlander which was great um although not once was I ever convinced that uh, Sean Connery was a Spaniard <laughs> no um, <laughs> that, that was that was the no nobody was but then you had Highlander 2 which was off the fucking rails weird where the all of a sudden things were like from a different planet and interplanetary aliens were actually the immortals. Um, and that got retconned pretty quick because then you had highlighted the final dimension, which didn't talk about any of that really at all. Uh, I, to be honest, I did not watch anything past Highlander one. Um, or at least not anything that I remember. Maybe I saw it when I was a kid or something like that. But I've only recently re-watched re- re- Highlander as an adult. And uh, the movie was okay. It was not... The uh, story know. holds up. The acting and the um, sets don't. Yeah, like, I think this is another thing. One of those, like, everybody remembers the idea. And that's the thing that they stick to. Because the idea is is pretty cool. But as a, as a movie in general, I... I don't remember being particularly impressed. There's a renegade cut of Highlander 2 that actually uh, cuts out any references to the immortals being from a different planet and stuff. Yeah. And it, it actually um, holds up a little bit better, although not much because, because they do have to cut some of that stuff out. There's some gaps yeah. in storytelling. Um, and then the fourth Highlander movie was uh, actually the um, culmination of, of both the movie series and, and the TV series, and so you had Adrian Paul and Christopher Lambert working side by side with one another. 
um, which considering that the movies themselves weren't really cohesive as a, as a whole unit, um, bringing the, the, the TV series into it was kind of weird because the TV series was yeah. extremely cohesive. Um, and then you had Highlander, the source, which was, um, kind of a, a Adrian Paul vehicle, but that movie was absolute shit. It was done on a TV movie budget and you could totally tell. Yeah. I think, yeah, I don't know. I think I'd be interested in them redoing a Highlander movie because I think this movie definitely could use a reboot. Um, and I think that if they took some of the, um, you know, essentials from, you know, the story and retold that uh, with with a little bit of a spin, it, it would work out pretty well. Yeah. The Highlander series was kind of weird because it was a syndicated, uh, syndicated series and it was... Um filming time was split evenly between Chicago and France. Like they, each hmm. season was kind of did, um, half the season in one, uh, one place and half the season in another. But I don't think that it's got the following necessarily that a series like Stargate SG one has where like, you're talking about rebooting the series and you're like, but what does that do for the series? Because those of us that are Stargate fans, the movie was one thing, but the series is really where the bread and butter was at for us, and we don't want to lose that continuity. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I honestly, I don't think that there would be very many people, if any, pissed off about just retconning the whole damn thing and going back to the purebred, you know, like the very most simplistic part of the story. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so there you have it, Rob. That's our take on the on the Highlander reboot sure. or potential reboot. And you're not wrong. It it could definitely use one. Yeah. All right. That is the show for this uh, week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you can find us on Twitter at whatever show. Yep. Uh, Facebook.com slash whatever. Yeah. Uh, whatever show, I believe. Oh, whatever show. Yeah. Okay. And then um, questions at whatever.co would yep. be how to email us directly. Yeah. Any of those places. If you want us to talk about your idea or your pet theory or whatever, we can go on. We'll, we'll, we will. Um, we got nothing but time. So yeah. uh, anyway, hit us up. Uh, we also appreciate it if you go on iTunes and, you know, like our show and uh, send us out to your friends and all that kind of good stuff. So if you could tell more people about us, we can grow and that would make us happy at least. Yeah. Um, and we will put up on the website. I'm not sure about any of the other places, but we'll put up on the website um, another listing of comic books that uh, we didn't necessarily read this week um, yeah. or talk about on the show. Uh, but uh, I do feel it's important because we have talked about them in the past that uh we let you know what's what every week yeah um even if we don't make time for it on the show or have time for it on the show yeah we're yeah. we're gonna continue that in we're some three hours in sure. on a show that we didn't even read any comic books for this week yeah all right ladies and gentlemen i will see you next week me too <laughs>